0: The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL, and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome <laughs> right, to Linux Action Show, episode 355. My name is Chris. And my name is Noah. Hey, Noah, good morning to you. Good morning. So guess what? Huge show today. Big show. I know. You're surprised. You're shocked. You never could have believed it. But today we're going to talk about media production under Linux. Have you ever wondered how Noah goes to the floor of Scale and all the other conferences and we stream live all under Linux? Well, we're going to talk about that and how you can produce your own show, some of the hardware, software tips, and tricks that we use. And a few other folks out there that do it under Linux, we'll give them a tip of the hat as well. And in the news segment, we're going to talk about the massive, massive Valve updates. We've got Steam Machine... Names, dates, and prices, we're going to talk about that. We've got final uh, the uh, Valve controller, we'll talk about that. That's something new that I think runs Linux coming from Valve that we don't have a lot of details on. And maybe OpenGL's replacement, Noah, embrace yourself. We even have Gabian talking about writing open source code on the show today. It is crazy. And then also in the news segment, we've got all the other roundups from the week that we'll jump into for you. So don't worry. there's pl- It's not just gaming news, of course, although I mean, it was a big, big week for gaming. But uh, there is perhaps a lawsuit brewing for VMware. We'll talk about that and maybe their use of Linux code, as well as features coming to Linux 4.0 that may mean you never have to reboot again. And finally... The GNOME desktop is catching up in an area that the KDE desktop has had a very important lead in for a long time. And then we've got feedback and all of that. But, Noah, it's our pick segment first. And we've got crazy picks. We've got three desktop picks this week, which is nuts. Crazy, crazy amount of picks. But first, it's our Runs Linux. So brace yourself. Noah, I didn't really talk to you much about this one, so I don't know how much you read because I kind of wanted to get your reaction. It's called the Kuber Box, I think. The Kuber Box. It's a six-screen, waterproof cube that runs Linux. Okay, it's on Kickstarter right wow. now. It's got 265 backers, sixty thousand dollars pledged of a goal of 150 thousand dollars, with 20 days left to go. Noah, I propose to you we watch a little bit of the Kickstarter video because
1: right now you I might be a should. little
0: skeptical. All right, so I'm
1: going to play. I a bit am. Of this. I'm a little skeptical. Of how you can put six screens in water and not have the thing blow up? Last <laughs> okay. time I tried that with my phone, it didn't work out so well.
0: All right, so here we'll, we'll give it a that go. Was just one screen. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's Linux, so it's that's probably how. No, I mean, just think about it. You know. Must be Linux can do all. All right, uh, Kickstarter, go, Kickstarter, now go. Hey, it's just, just sitting there, Noah. Well, maybe we won't. Maybe we don't it's get thinking. the video. I don't think we're going to get the video. It doesn't seem to be no? working.
1: Well, maybe the maybe the chipmunks are bringing the video down. I think you just need to be patient.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give. I guess I'll give the chipmunks a minute. Uh, so maybe you could try that. Click that play button. I happen to know. Well, you know. Oh, is that what you do to get it to work? Well, here you can see they have, they do have an animated uh, GIF. Which, uh, mm-hmm. which tends to work a little better. Uh, and uh, I, got, I got a little bit of the hardware specs here for you so you can figure out what, it, what it's powered by. Uh, this little cube. It's powered by Linux, Chris. This little cube. Now, think of something maybe like, uh, keep in mind, like you know maybe the Amazon Echo. Mm-hmm. It could be a device in that range. It's got an ARM processor in it. Uh, not super fast, 454 megahertz, 64 megabytes of RAM, 4 gigabyte SD card. Uh, it's got a 7800 milliamp battery. Oh, it has a really cool charging system we'll talk about here in a second. And it's powered by, get ready for this, Arch Linux, yep. Really? Yeah, it's powered. really. Yeah, it's powered by Arch Linux. Yep. Yeah, that's it's amazing. So that's pretty cool, right? Uh, yeah. It's dustproof, waterproof. It's made of polycarbonate. Uh, they're trying to make it as thin as possible. It's got uh, Qi wireless charging. It has a speaker built into it, it has a microphone, uh, so you can uh, you can get it, you can read it to you. you. Can have it like when you're in the kitchen, you can have it do step by step cooking directions. You can put it on top of this tray to have it automatically charge. It's really nice and light. Uh,
1: I don't know why the video doesn't work for us.
0: I could try reloading the page. I suppose maybe that would get the video started. Yeah, it it's kind of neat to see
1: it. You know what else you could try? Try doing in Firefox. Noah,
0: your face. Noah, Noah, your face with, with the Firefox. You want me to try it in Firefox? You know what? Just, just I think you experiment. Try it in we'll just try it in Firefox because it probably will work. All right, let's work. try it in Firefox. Let's and, see what happens. And after all of the uh, bad mouthing I've given Firefox on the show uh, last year, I feel like maybe 2015 is the year where Firefox should get a good rep. So maybe this, maybe it'll work. We'll see. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. The Firefox challenge. Let's see. And. Fireball crashes. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Right. I, don't, I don't know what right. it is. I don't know what it is. Right. The video doesn't Maybe work because it got all wet because the device isn't waterproof, the chat room says.
1: <laughs> I thought the Linux was supposed to fix that.
0: <laughs> so the Cooper box, well, I'll I tell you what, uh, I, just because Chris always comes prepared to these kinds of things, Noah, I always do my homework. I also pulled us up a backward, a uh, backwards, a backup article from Linux Gizmos uh, that has uh, some interesting deeds. So even though we can't watch the video, we can learn about it ourselves. Uh, You can see here you could put like Tetris so it has games It also has multiplayer games The screen itself is multi-touch You also obviously control it and load apps from a smartphone Kind of like you do with the Pebble Watch as a matter of fact Um, uh, The Kickstarter, so it's starting at $299 The project is open through March 29th And shipments are expected in November $299 Mm -hmm. to get you started Noah What do you
1: think about that? I think that's a little expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it probably is fair for what uh, for what <clears throat> goes into make the box, but seems uh, a little expensive for w- I can do what exactly with it? Well, uh, like they, it's a great
0: for uh, look. That's a baby right there, Noah playing with it. You mm-hmm. see how that's a baby, and see that yeah. attractive lady in her kitchen, and it's telling her how to boil yes. her stuff. Right. Women like to sit uh, in the kitchen and boil stuff, and that picture confirms yeah. that for me. So I like that. Yes.
1: That's what that uh, does uh, does 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 that attractive lady in the kitchen? Does she have a smartphone that could perhaps tell her how to boil things? And that infant could that infant possibly be just as entertained with a two dollar rattle? You know, my kids are more entertained by the boxes their Christmas presents come in than the Christmas presents themselves. Yeah, so I hate that. Can't really see spending that much money on a light up box.
0: Well, okay. To give my infant. I'll give you one. I'll give you one example water. where
1: I think it's got a pretty solid.
0: I think it has a pretty solid uh, a use case. You
1: ready for this? I'm ready. I'm listening.
0: On your podcast set back in the corner with your logo and stuff rotating on it. Right? Right? You hail yes. That would be awesome.
1: <laughs> you know what else? You just you, you gave me an idea. Here's what, what else I could do. I could put it in my office behind my desk. Yeah. Because I found that clients are more interested in what you have to say if there are interesting things for them to look at sure. when they're in the office. Sure. Yeah. And so uh, I for example I have a yeah. a naked woman that holds right. my business cards up sure, yeah. and covers herself yeah. with my right. business card. Right. you know how much attention that gets?
0: I, I do something yeah. similar so that way people don't notice all the food I drop on my shirt. That's yeah. the same technique as, you know, a distraction. So it'd be good for that. It would be good so it's called the Cooper Box. Uh, you can get it for three hundred dollars uh-huh. and um, it runs Arch. So there you go. (laughs) I don't really have much more to say other than that. Good luck to him. I love that it runs Linux uh, with six 256-pixel touch-enabled sides. I think that idea is kind of cool, too.
1: You know what? Running Linux, who cares what it does and who cares what it's useful for? It runs Linux. That's all we need to know. Uh, That's what I always say. uh, I I said that once. You, you just said that, Noah. That's what you I did. You, you just said that. I did. Yeah.
0: Hey, you know mm-hmm. what else I'll say? I'll say DigitalOcean rocks. DigitalOcean is our first sponsor of the Linux Action Show this week, and I've got a promo code I'd like you to remember after I tell you about them. It's Last Digital, One word, L-A-S-Digital, and I save that, and then you can apply that DigitalOcean and get a $10 credit. Now, why? Why do you need a $10 credit for what, Chris? Slow down. You're confusing my brain. It is too early, Chris. What the hell? Daylight Savings. I understand. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you. Yeah, you, to spin up your own cloud server. Oh, you're not a server expert? You're not an IT person? It don't matter. You don't matter. DigitalOcean's got you covered. You are a server admin. You are an IT expert. You are going to be elated with how awesome and easy DigitalOcean is. You can get started in less than 55 seconds, and pricing plans start at just $5 per month. That's legit, $5 a freaking month. You can get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte, a terabyte, one terabyte of transfer for $5 a month. They got data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London, multiple data centers
1: in those locations Cash they rock! You know, we don't talk. We talk about you. We always talk about the advantages of DigitalOcean from the you know the ability to spin up droplets and stuff like that. But I, I don't think what we ever really talk about is support, and that's something that's really important. Um, especially, uh, you know, if you're somebody like me who uh, you know I rely on that stuff. Um, for my customers. And so DigitalOcean's no yeah. reputation translates to my reputation, right? Yep. So uh, last night, uh, well, it started the night before, but I got resolved last night. <clears throat> I had an issue with uh, with a droplet, and I, I opened a support ticket. I think within 10 minutes, they had assigned somebody to my case, and he was there typing away, and, and, and he says, oh, well, uh, can you try this for me? And he asked me for a couple of tests from the server, which I gave him. And then eventually, they found out that there was really no way they were going to be able to fix the droplets. You know what they did? They moved the droplet to an entirely different virtual host for me. That's so they nice. said, we're just going to pick your droplet up and move it to a different host so you don't have that problem. And if I had a, if that had been a real server, if it had been a physical server and something had gone wrong with it, which is kind of what I'm assuming happened, there would be no moving it. I mean, I would have to call the manufacturer and get another server there. Then I'd have to pull the thing out of the rack and move the hard drive over and then redo a bunch of stuff with the network configs because it would change the E0 to something else. And God knows whatever that, whatever's referencing that, would yeah. have to all get changed. Yes. And I None of that happened. I, sent, I, I sat there in my skippies with my laptop and went, yeah. like, hi, guys, can you fix this for me? And it. then I waited for the email to come back that said, uh, sorry, Noah, it's fixed. Yeah, that was my troubleshooting. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. and when, yeah, you're it was just, amazing. when
0: you're doing the self-management, they've got it all in this dashboard that is all right there, web standards compliant, works in any browser. It's simple, mm-hmm. very, very intuitive, and you can replicate the functionality with their API. So you can snap it into a management infrastructure, or utilize one of their apps, and get started in no time. You,
1: you know how easy that API is to use? I was in the Mumble room complaining about how something wasn't working on, on, on the droplet when we were having this problem. And I couldn't power the droplet on. And within like 10 minutes, uh, Zorak in, uh, in, in the Mumble room had written a, a script that would turn my droplet on uh, using their API. Yeah. yeah it really... took like 10 minutes. He looked at it and he's like, oh, this is easy. Yeah, and there's so many good things out there already, too,
0: because like it is really straightforward. So the community really mm-hmm. jumps on top of it. Plus, they have a ton of really good tutorials as well. So when you use our promo code LASDigital, L-A-S-Digital, one word, lowercase, you'll get a $10 credit. You can try out the $5 rig two months for free. I say go play with CoreOS. Yes, they've added free BSD. That's lovely and a very nice operating system. But CoreOS, I think, represents perhaps the future of cloud-hosted Linux, where the base operating system is actually essentially rolling, and the applications are isolated inside containerized environments. Well, DigitalOcean has been at the forefront of Docker since Docker became a thing, and now DigitalOcean is working directly with the CoreOS project to be subscribed directly to CoreOS updates from the mainline project. So you get direct access to future CoreOS updates on a DigitalOcean droplet with their incredible speeds. It's a great opportunity to learn or go to play something serious. Uh, we're going to talk about it a little more, but the very, very feed you're looking at from Noah right there. Hi, Noah. Why, that's being hey, bounced Chris. off a DigitalOcean droplet right now. You can use it for testing, for production, whatever it is. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action
1: Show. Got three and one picks. last thing. Yeah. They raised, my, uh, they raised my limit from 25 to 50, so I'm no longer stuck at 25. So you Isn't can now have up to 50 droplets? I can now up to 50 droplets. <laughs> you're
0: a maniac. You're a maniac. I love it. I they're love so it. easy. And they're so cheap. I know. I love it. I've got a bunch, too. I don't have 50, though. Uh, okay, so th- why three app picks? Well, so this is a media production episode of the Linux Action Show, and we absolutely wanted to give you some solid media production applications, uh, one perhaps that uh, uh, has a lot of potential down the road and one that could help you distribute your productions once you've created, especially the larger ones if you're going to do video. Uh, we're going to talk about both audio and video in today's show. Um, but turns out a new game came out for Linux that's crazy great, on sale, and it's, it's so much fun that I also wanted to make that an app pick. So we have three desktop app picks for you this week. I'll start with the crazy great uh, fun Torchlight 2. It's been out for a while for Windows Platform, now available for Linux, and it's on sale as part of a SteamOS sale we're going to talk about later in the show. 80% off, three ninety nine. This, do- this game is $4. This game is 4 freaking dollars. Now, if you liked Diablo at all, you will love this game. Uh, it is literally made by people who left Blizzard, that worked on Diablo, and then went to go make a better game. And they took everything they knew about making that game and made a better game. It's a little simpler, uh, but it, it works very well. I played it on my new XPS uh, 13 uh, with uh, high-resolution uh, 4K graphics, it played fine. I've played it here in the studio. Steam save works, so I can play between, between machines. Uh, it, it is it is a hack and slash. Uh, you will be clicking the hell out of your mouse, and it is a great, great game. And for $3.99, this is one of the best games you can get on the Linux desktop. At that price point, you got to jump on it, because I don't know how long that sales. It does go on sale fairly, fairly frequently, because it's not a brand-new game anymore. But this is, again, a prime example of a port done right i've had very few games out of the box work perfectly under my high dpi linux desktop and this is one of them i'm a hardcore diablo 2 fan we all know diablo 2 and diablo 3 never made it officially to the linux desktop well you don't need it now this is a native linux game in steam for four dollars it's great it's called torchlight 2 and uh, i highly highly recommend it i've been playing the hell out of it and i love it noah do you uh do you do you game
1: much no, I, I here. You know what's funny here? Uh, this this will tell you my interest in gaming. Uh, Steam came out for Linux, and I spent like a hundred dollars on games. And I think if you look at the total time played, it's they're they're all like they can be measured in the single of minutes. Yeah. Because I never actually played any of them. I just yeah. I just I wanted to be able to say that I was one of the first people to buy games on Linux. So I am I am a gamer as it relates to supporting more things happening on sure. linux yeah. and thus more people coming to yeah. linux and pass that i couldn't care less yeah. i st- i play counter strike 1.6 so which, uh, which i get made a lot of fun of
0: no no that's fine you know uh, i also ha- i have a hard time myself sticking with a lot of games i buy them and i don't stick mm. with them I can definitely tell you that Torchlight is a game I'll be sticking with. So if you have have a hard time with games really gaining traction, this is a good one. And the fact that the Steam Sync saving works means that if you have rigs that you blow away, you can keep loading it from time Uh to time and just play it on a weekend when you have some free time. This is a good one. Uh, I, I recommend it mostly. Uh, and I, yeah, I that's I my problem
1: a, right there—is finding the free time.
0: Well, I'm the same way though. I don't have a lot of free time, but like I just mm-hmm. happened to have a little time last night. Like I had a little more energy than I normally do at night around eight mm-hmm. o'clock when I put the kids to bed. I was like, I was like "I'm going to go kill an hour," and it was really—it was really a lot of fun. And I could see myself just picking it up in another week or two when I have an hour to kill and uh, just playing again. Or the I not take weekend. a
1: lot to figure out.
0: No, no, no. Especially, especially okay. if you're just used to regular click hack and slashes, but it, it steps you through it. Uh, it's it's very straightforward. And that uh, was
1: what that was what appealed to me about Race the Sun was it was one of those games that I installed and I and I, it was just right off the bat I was like oh I can do this yeah. and then yep. nine yep. hours later I'm like wow well, no, you'll to feel work you'll <laughs> feel that way
0: with Torchlight as well uh, and uh, check out the Linux Gamecast this weekend uh, when they uh, eventually get their episode out. They'll have a review of it because they uh, they've been loving it too, uh, and uh, you can find it on Steam right now. I have a link in the show notes. Uh, it's three ninety nine. I don't know for how long. I don't know how. Long. I do have the notes. I think in the show notes how long the Steam sale ends. Promotion ends in twenty three hours twenty six minutes. So not a lot of time. Uh, so I will also put a link in the chat room for those of you watching live because I really. In fact, I I think I bought it. I might have bought a multi pack, but I'm not sure. Sometimes when it's a deal that good, you, you really just got to go get it. And who cares if it came mm-hmm. out in 2012? It's just a damn good game. All right, moving on. For those of you who don't care about games, and you're here to learn a little bit more about media production, Noah and I don't really have a lot of experience with Snowmix, but Noah's actually tried it to an extent. Uh, but Snowmix could be a one of these pieces of software that when it finally gets all of the little kinks worked out, could be a cornerstone media production piece of software for Linux.
1: Don't you think? So, if you look back at—I uh, can't remember the exact episode number. I'm guessing it was around 300. Um, you, you and Matt did an episode talking about why um, you are forced to use uh, uh, a uh, an Apple to do a lot of the uh, a lot of the final uh, right. stages. but essentially it came down to VR. Wirecast. Right, and so and so and the reason is is uh, as you mentioned is there's just no um, there are the, the tools weren't there. Um, to do a lot of the things that you did in Linux. And so this is, one of, this is one of those fundamental key pieces that was missing, and is now available, or maybe has been, but just didn't really have the traction before, um, is to do live video switching, that you can switch between different cameras. So we have the the capture part taken care of, with the capture card we're going to get to in a little bit. We have the outputting taken care of, which we're going to get to in a little bit with FFmpeg. What you're missing in the middle is being able to switch from different camera uh, sources, and that's where Snowmix comes in. Now, I was able to get it Installed one time, I had to compile it from source. It wasn't. I couldn't get the, I couldn't get it to work in the AUR, and I found a PPA, but it for would Surprise, surprise. Um, so I, I ended up compiling it from source, and I got it to work. The problem is the laptop that I got it to work on. Uh, only had two USB ports, and I couldn't get uh, I couldn't get enough. I could I didn't have enough USB ports to get the more than one camera and the audio interface, mm. so I could try and switch between them. So I got I got to see that it, it functionally works, but it's going to take a little bit to play with it. But the, the nice thing about something like production is you essentially build an appliance. So I, we can take a box, turn it into a production box, and it never has to necessarily get right. uh, changed or blow blown away because all it has to do is take that video in, switch yeah. between it, and then spit it back out. Yep. And as long as it does that once, yep. we can just freeze the box, and it'll yeah. be like that indefinitely. Yeah,
0: yeah. and uh, so this software, uh, uh, which I have yet to get working, uh, but uh, it does seem to be quite promising and does seem to be active. It was last updated February 2nd, 2015. So it's it's mm-hmm. under active development, uh, Snowmix, and the idea is that it solves a lot of these problems we've had, including even audio feed management, uh, uh, streaming, and uh, switching. So it's something we're keeping an eye on. Uh, there's also, of course, Open Broadcaster. OBS is another one that people know a lot about. And uh, it's okay, too. Uh, but this one is something that uh, I, I, I and uh, now, uh, really thanks to Noah, uh, i am tracking. And I think, Noah, you and I will just keep testing it, and we'll report back when mm-hmm. we get it working. But it doesn't mean other people might not. Maybe their maybe they're configs, it'll work better for them. Uh, I was trying under Arch, and you were trying under what?
1: I, um, tried it under, I tried it under both Arch and Ubuntu. I got it to compile on Ubuntu, but... Um, no, I, I take that back. I got it to compile under Arch. Um, but um, what, whatever, all, I ha- all we have to do is get it working one time. And then, like I said, you know, once you build it, and once it works one time, yep. um, you know, it's basically good to go. So, and that's the that nice sucker. thing about doing stuff like that. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, Clonezilla. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, maybe. Mm-hmm. I
0: mean, it's definitely possible. All right, so that is... Uh, That's SnowMix, and that's how, if you're going to do video, you might want to move stuff uh, in and out uh, of your capture rig so that way you can pull from multiple cameras at once. Like here's, you know, camera shot one, camera shot two, camera shot three, you know, uh, that we're doing right now if you're watching the video version. Now, uh, once you you make something, even if it's a large audio file, it can be really expensive to distribute that. Now, in the production section, I'll give you a few tips on how you can distribute your media files pretty cheaply, uh, especially if you're just going to do an audio podcast or something like that. But if you want to distribute a video, you know, you go to a conference or something like that and you want to share, it, it can be very expensive. Uh, one thing that you probably immediately came to mind was uh, torrents. Well, there is a great app that especially if you're using something like DigitalOcean to distribute your media files, you could use on a remote server. Rtorrent. It is a command line uh, torrent client and it is really really good and we never talk about it because it's not all that flashy but RTorrent is really one of the coolest BitTorrent clients out there because you can log in uh, I do it over uh, Mosh but you can log in over SSH which is, is basically the same thing. You start up RTorrent, you seed it from your droplet or your VPS or wherever you're doing it from and uh, you send the file out from there and you, make a, you set up the torrent to do a web seed from that droplet and it gives people insane initial download speeds. So the first few people that jump on your torrent Pull down the web seed from my droplet. They get it at you know as basically as fast as their home connection can take it from my DigitalOcean droplet. They immediately become seeders of the torrent swarm, and now they're feeding out the files all out the web. And I started it all by kicking off an rTorrent session on my DigitalOcean droplet. So rTorrent is a super great BitTorrent client. There's probably a lot of command line ones. rTorrent
1: one's the one I love. You ever play with it? No, I haven't played with it specifically, but I'm always about command line tools, if only because I feel geeky. I, <laughs> I, I actually installed the Telegram uh, command client yeah, and I'll have yeah. to send you the screen cap. It's actually, it's mildly creepy. Every time you touch your phone with Telegram, it, 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 it marks that, and yeah. I get a push notification in the, in the command line client. So, for example, I could tell you and Angela were talking because it would say, Angela Fisher online, Chris Fisher online, Angela yeah. Fisher online, Chris Fisher online, and it would go back and forth, and I'm like, oh, they're having a conversation. And then it would stop for a little bit, and then it would start again, and I could tell who was starting the Yeah, you know what I was because- thinking? <laughs> that would be perfect
0: in the quake drop-down terminal
1: like you yeah. know cause you yeah, just... yeah 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 cool. it's it's a little too verbose if i it, it needs to it needs some of that stuff needs to not be there otherwise because that's why i couldn't use it is it gets to be if i constantly see notifications of people opening the the app that's useless to me mm-hmm. uh, i need to only see notifications when there's something that i want to see yeah. and yeah. i couldn't find a way to configure it so uh, but uh, <laughs> it's it's fun to do things in the terminal
0: i feel like i should also mention that uh, the rtorrent project is also the home of the libtorrent project and you can find more about that uh, in the link in the show notes so uh, there you go so there's torchlight uh two and our torrent so we had those are two there's a uh, two desktop picks right there this is crazy which is just just you, we could we could stop there we could be done we probably should be done uh but we had a third app pick i'm trying to oh yeah that's right oh yeah 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 okay so uh oh man oh man look at all this good stuff We the show notes are full of good stuff this week uh, so we yeah. have, uh, uh, so yeah, we had Torchlight, Snowmix, and Artorn. Those are three picks, and now we have a crazy great spotlight. It's something that Noah put in here, and he's like, "Hey, uh, do you mind if we give these guys a plug?" And uh, I was like, "Yeah, uh, yeah, we should," because we've been using them for years in some of the music in some of our shows, and it's a free resource that uh, you can take advantage of. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's really, it's really great for it. just adding like a little bit of like you know like background music to a montage or like what, is that, what right. do you use it for.
1: Well, so essentially, back when I was in college, I was, doing, I was doing broadcast engineering, and we would go to do these projects. And my professor would say, all right, so I want you to do a project, and I want you to do a, an introduction video just so we could learn cutting uh, – so you could learn how to cut a clip. And he said, I want you to film something and then cut it into two. And what I found was I could one-up everyone else in the room by adding music in the background. The problem is, um, especially if you're doing it for school, they're very, very strict on how you deal with uh, copyright. And you or have to make YouTube. sure that you're – Right, Well, YouTube, but we, it wasn't going to YouTube at that point. But the, the the you know they would look at every resource that you put in, every picture, every graphic, every piece, every music file, uh, every voiceover. You had to you had to own the copyright, or you had to have permission to use it. And there's a guy by the name of Kevin McLeod. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And what he does is he's decided that it is. It is so inexpensive for him to share his music for free, um, as long as you give him credit for it, uh, he's willing to do that. So he takes his entire archive and puts it up, on a website. I think it's Comptech. I think is how you pronounce it. Yep. In Comptech. Yeah. And it's, it, that's all, that's, it's all there for you to use for free. You can download it. Um, and then of course, if, as you know, back when I was in college, when I didn't have any money, that was a real great way to go. It, today, if I was going to do it, you can actually hire him to compose a piece of music specifically for your project. And I contacted him a while back for, for a different project and his prices are really reasonable. So, um, it seems, you know, the, the, the website's really great, and, and it's one of those people that, he's one of those guys that give, 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 and then he asks. So it, it's, you know, mm-hmm. he's, it's, it's, the, it's the fundamental idea of a, of a true community member. Um, and it, yeah. everything I like kind of about Linux is the same thing I liked about Incomtech, and yeah. so that's, it's the first place I go when I need music.
0: Our, uh, our side-by theme is IncompTech. that okay. we've used for years. That's Incomptech. Uh yeah, this is also in compatech right here. Yeah, so he's got a lot of really good stuff that mm-hmm. we've used it, uh, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the shows that we used to do back in just when we put uh, music underneath. It. And he puts it all right there. So you go to his site. It's com. You go to royalty-free music. Now, check out his licensing and what the terms are before you just go use it. But if you've got a podcast or a media production, you can go uh, do searches based on a feel or a genre. So you can say, I want something exciting or I want something dramatic. And it will pull up results like that. Or you can go just search by genre. So, like, uh, here is, uh, like, Funkin' Blues or Video Classics. I love the Video Classics because they're kind of like chip tunies, which are always really fun. And, uh, again, you can then filter this category by the feed. So I could say, like, uplifting if I wanted. So that way everybody got uplifting. And then you get the whole database list here. And you play the ones you want right here. Now, um, as we saw earlier, my, the streaming in my browser isn't working. But uh, all of these will just play right there. And then you just download the one you want. And you just get an MP3 file right there. So if I just click download, it just starts to download immediately. I don't have to sign in. I don't have to create an
1: account or anything like that. Exactly. Here's the licensing. Exactly. And his terms, if you don't have, if you know, obviously you want to read them before you use it in a production. But his terms are very reasonable. Essentially, what it, the, the the short of it is, give him credit if you're going to use his work. So if it's a video, put it put it at the end in the credits, just tag him in there. If it's an audio production, he has a little audio sampler that you can put in the you know at the end of your audio podcast that says music was provided by uh, Kevin McLeod at uh at Incomtec. Incomtec, Yep. <clears throat>
0: Yeah. Yep, and we uh we did give him a little attribution too. It was really cool. So that's in dot com. You can go check that out. See there's a lot of picks. Uh this is a lot of picks. So hopefully uh you got one more in you because this is a uh this is a big one. You know, Linux Fest Northwest is right around the corner. We really want to go big this year. We've every year we've tried to make our production a little bit bigger and bigger at Linux Fest. Last year we really hit a high note with two day live streams, all kinds of stuff, tons of guests, great interviews, and swag. This year we want to take it up another notch. We want to try to bring out as much of the Jupiter Broadcasting family as possible. We want to we want to fly in our hosts from the East Coast, like Michael Dominic and Chris Moore and Alan Jude. We want to bring obviously Noah in and the production staff, in. we want to bring them all to Bellingham. So, that way, if you come out, you get a chance to meet them, but also we all get a chance to be in one spot. You know, that's really good for our team. We get a chance to sync up and everybody gets energized with the plan for the rest of the year, but we also get to make some brainstorming and do some pr- production right here while everybody's in one place and just go out and have a good time together. It's going to be a lot of fun. And to make Linux Fest really happen this year, we're launching our official 2015 last shirt. The uh, teespring.com slash Linux is the location. This shirt right here, we'll use the proceeds from this to fund the uh, like as much of the travel costs as we can for everybody we're going to bring out and all of the production costs there, as close as we can. One thing we did decide to do, is we decided to go as low price as possible. So uh, if you really do want to support us, maybe buy two, because we're not really making a lot of money on the shirts, but we wanted as many people at the Fest in last year as possible, because that worked out so awesome last year. It was a sea of last logos, and we want to do it again this year. Teespring.com slash Linux. We've got shirts available. They've got the our new logo, or I guess it's now a year old, right up there. Beautiful, gorgeous logo on the shirt. Of course, we've got additional styles available Uh, We've got the ladies tee out there. We've got uh, the long sleeve shirt, uh, which looks really, really sharp. We've got the hoodie available, teespring.com slash Linux. 22 days left. It'll take about 10 days to print and ship and everything. So I think even if you're international, you'll get this bad mamma jamma in time if you're going to fly in for Linux Fest Northwest. You're still going to get this in time. Linux. Teespring.com slash Linux. Get the Linux Action Show shirt and help fund our big efforts at Linux Fest Northwest. We want to go really big this year. And we just, you know, there's, there's really a couple of ways we can do it. We can do something like this uh, and, and have it funded by our audience and give you guys something in return. Or we can go try to seek out a bunch of sponsors. And it's not that we're against doing that. And there's really, that's a seriously not a bad route to go necessarily. However, the thing I love about this route is it also means that everybody there gets to rock some swag too. So you guys get something. We give uh, hopefully enough funding to do this initiative. And I, I really like this idea because it feels very organic and it feels sort of perfect for a Linux community-focused show. So I hope this works out. But we do need your support at teespring.com slash Linux. Also, if you don't want a shirt but you want to support uh, the efforts, patreon.com slash today. We're also raising funds on our Jupiter Broadcasting Patreon over at patreon.com slash today. But uh, this... You know, the thing is, this is the time to get this because we have this process so dialed in now. Like, we have worked out the kinks. We have great relationships with Teespring. Their printing process is down to an art. The logo has been specifically designed for the printing process. This is the all black and white edition of the Linux Action Show 300 logo available on the various shirts, the ladies' tee, the hoodie, the long-sleeve shirt. Uh, Go check it out, teespring.com slash Linux. I'm crazy excited. And I'd love to see you there in some last swag. And now, Noah, you've got to update your swag now. You got to get a new
1: shirt. Yeah, I do. Uh, here's the thing I don't have to update my swag. You know why? Because it shows up in the mail yeah. for free. Like this <laughs> Tech Talk Today coffee yeah. mug that yeah. I just, it's like Christmas. I just randomly I, I walk out to my doorstep and all of a sudden, boom, there's a, there's, a, there's a coffee cup on my doorstep. And in fact, later in the segment, I think we're going to talk about a mouse pad that, uh, again, didn't pay for that, didn't, didn't show, request it, now, it, just showed up on my now doorstep. Now, don't give the wrong like impression, magic.
0: though, because I don't know if we're giving this one away for free because we're trying to raise funds. If we give it away for free, that doesn't exactly right. raise funds. So uh, right. well, but, we might be As future, far as the Patreon, though, yeah, the patrons also there. Yeah, that's a so there. There is we don't talk about it a lot in last, but there is an entirely different swag club membership you can get in where we send out swag from time to time over patreon.com slash today. Not related to this. So don't don't let Noah confuse you. It's not related to this. This is this is us trying to raise funds. I don't know what our plan is there uh, for the patrons, but uh, they're always giving out good stuff there. I uh, I want the long sleeve shirt already. I want the T shirt already. And uh, we have multiple colors too I like the blue a lot Look at that look at you that! one of each Look at that Look how sharp that is With the white logo Look at that mm-hmm. That is Man Man I would see you Coming across the room And be like That is a handsome person In that shirt Or beautiful Depends Depends mm-hmm. Alright go, bra- go grab one Teespring.com Slash Linux Even if you can't go to Linux Fest You can still help us get there Because it'll give you the coverage And also get to rock yourself Some swag And then we make it out Into your area You can still rock that And be like boom Be pretty impressed Alright Noah Let's do the news
1: News and this episode is brought to you by
0: Ting.com. Go to last.ting.com to get started. That's our mobile service provider because it makes sense. It's really mobile, it does make sense. There's no contract, there's no early termination fee, and it's just a flat six dollars for each line. And then you just pay for your usage. No gimmicky plans you have to jump through hoops to try to make sure you fit into It's just what you use, and every plan comes with everything you expect hotspot, tethering. Picture, picture messaging, caller ID, voicemail, you know, all the standard stuff you'd expect from your cellular phone plan is included with Ting. There's just no early term- termination fees or contracts. You own the phones outright. Isn't that great? Go to last.ting.com to get $25 off your first device. And now, if you have a Ting-compatible device, and there's now there's more of them than ever because they're rolling out on GSM, too, you'll get $25 in service credits. And so uh, you can go to Ting. Try out their Bring Your Own Device page and see what you can bring. Uh, you might be impressed. If you've got something that's been compatible with the Sprint network or the T-Mobes network, uh, you could probably just bring it right with you. And if you get a $25 credit, that might pay for more than your first month. It did for me. I brought over an Evo 4G back in the day, and uh, I, my first month and change were f- absolutely free. And when you go to Ting, you'll also notice they have a bunch of great unlocked devices you can pick up from them or bring
1: your own as well. What were you going to say, Noah? No, I was just gonna uh, jump in there and say that uh, you know the, if you're if you're concerned about security, obviously CDM is the way to go. However, if you're concerned about ultimate flexibility, GSM is all the rage. and And I took I got my GSM card and I was like, what am I going to do with this? I went and pulled out like my Nokia fifty three ninety, which is from like years ago. I I mean back like we're talking like nineteen ninety nine two thousand era. And I stuck my SIM card from Ting in and I powered the phone on and had service it worked like the you know they can restrict the what you can use on CDMA they they can record the, those serial numbers and, and restrict them so they can enforce things like you well, you have to have GPS tracking and you have to have E911 you have to have this and you have to have that mm-hmm. there's no real way for them to do that on the GSM so you can go buy a Motorola StarTac off of eBay for $19 and throw your GSM card in there, and activate that puppy, and use it. And yeah. so that I, I, yeah. I activated my Nokia, and what's great yeah. is it, I've had, I have had I charged it one time, and it, like the battery, like people measure battery in hours. I'm measuring, uh, right now I'm measuring it in weeks. Yeah. Like we'll see how many weeks I get out of yeah. my 5390 charge, because it's been on for like a week yeah, straight, that's, that's the and I have one charge, and it's not dead yet. I still have like five bars.
0: And, it great. and now you can also just pick up the GSM sims from Ting and just throw them in like a tablet or something like that, and then you just have data, and you just right. pay for it when you use it, or like a MiFi hotspot. That's crazy mm-hmm. great use for that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So now we've talked a lot about Ting, but there's one thing that we've never really answered that is extremely important from your mobile provider. And it's something you're never going to get answered from your other mobile providers. And Ting is here with an answer of, when you ask an exec, what is his favorite beer?
1: Nick asks, what's your favorite style of beer?
2: So, look, I'm Canadian, so I've always been partial to polar bear. You know, they're big and white and fluffy, and I do know they're dangerous. I thought he said bear. So, uh, I do also <laughs> have a bit of a soft spot for panda. I mean, pandas are just so big and cuddly. Who no, bear.
0: Them? Wait, he said bear. Oh, I just got punked on that, I think. <laughs> I <just got> punked. <laughs> that wasn't about bear at all. Go to last.thing.com. Go check them out. You know, because I, oh, I still want to know now. Oh, I still want to know. The answer is out there. I, I do believe, uh, and uh, go check them out. I'll uh, go to last.ting.com to also try out their savings calculator and just trying that get an idea. And this just lets them know that you appreciate them supporting the show. It's a good. It's a good chance for you. And check out their blog too. They have a bunch of other great tips on there. Go check out Ting. Okay, no, well, GDC happened. That's a thing. It's a Game Developers Conference, and uh, this company you may have heard of before. I'm not. I know you're not a big gamer. Their name is Valve, and uh, they were there. Are you familiar with Valve? No, you're good. You're good on Valve. you <laughs>
1: Yeah. I know that they run on Linux. Yes. They make a product that runs yeah. on Linux.
0: Well, yeah. uh, so SteamDB has a great roundup of everything we learned. Uh, uh, Steam growth continues to be very strong in itself. Uh, SteamOS, we really haven't heard much for a while. Uh, but now we actually have some uh, shipping dates coming up later in November. Alienware is on board with the machine. The Steam Controller, we have a final version of the Steam Controller, looks really good. Uh, but here's a new piece of hardware that we don't know for sure runs Linux, but I bet it does. It's called the Steam Link. It's a small computer that you hook up to your television that automatically discovers other instances of Steam running on your LAN. And then you'll be able to use the Steam in-home streaming to stream from your PC to your television. It has USB 3.0, Ethernet, HDMI, and 802.11ac. Uh, according to Valve, it can play in-home streaming streams. streams I'm sorry at 1080p 60 hertz, and it'll be available for
1: $50. This has got to be a Linux PC, a little mini Linux con PC. confirms that it runs SteamOS, yeah.
0: Yep, okay. Thank you, Imacon, in the chat room. Uh, then here we go. Here's the details on Steam machines. Uh, we have a whole bunch of models. I'll have them all outlined in the show notes. Essentially, this is how Valve prices them. Uh, You start at the Steam Link for $50. Then you go up to what they consider to be current-generation console prices, and they say these are current-generation console prices with better graphics. Then they have the high-end stuff that's like over $1,000, and that's really big, and it it ranges from there, like from $400, $800 to Uh, $1,000. There's uh, this one right here, this uh, Cyber X. It's an Intel Core i7 NVIDIA GTX ninety eight hundred, four gigabytes on the video card. "Quote unquote, one terabyte CP, uh, uh, hard drive, eight gigabytes of RAM, thirteen fourteen hundred dollars. That's extremely expensive, but they have a wide range of prices from four hundred to twelve
1: hundred dollars. What do you think on the pricing, Noah? I think that the Steam Link. I think that people that the Steam boxes and Steam OS is going to really appeal to people that have already invested a lot of money into their gaming rig." And want to and want to use that all the way around their house. And then I also think it's going to appeal to people like me, who I'm not a real big gamer, but if if I if I could buy a console box that I could play my Steam games on and plug it into my uh, large display and play mm-hmm. it every once in a while, mm-hmm. that would be. Yeah, I, I could see a lot of use in that. I could definitely see my kids getting into that. Yeah. Um. But as far as I don't see a lot of people spending a $1, thousand, twelve hundred, some dollars. Uh, on a dedicated gaming box that, that most of those people that want to spend that kind of money are going to buy the parts and build it themselves. Yeah, or, or they'll just buy a PS4. But the the, the advantage of SteamOS over, like, PlayStation... Oh, I know or, what the advantages or, you know, are. Is, Yeah, I mean, there's but, a lot I mean, of I advantages. can buy once and play everywhere. Yeah. So... From that from that perspective, as long as my as long as the game selection is available on Steam, and I think it probably is for most people, I mean, I see a huge trend. The trend has been moving away from consoles and 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 more towards PC gaming. And so, if if they're trying to get back to the council by essentially impersonating the, the the PCs, so I don't see I don't see people going back to PlayStation or. Xbox or any yeah. of those other... I think they're either going to stay with PC or they're going to go to SteamOS to get here's the things the, that they liked about here's the what, console. Here's what has to games drive
0: games. it. Here's what has to drive it. Things like the HTC Vive uh, a, a headset that they're working mm-hmm. on. It's a built-in... Mm-hmm. It uses a Steam VR uh, platform. has two displays... Uh, you know, it's a VR headset, like the Oculus. Uh, other things like this, the new controller, um, this, the, the Link, and things like that, give it give the Steam console certain advantages. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but to celebrate mm-hmm. all of the announcements, right now, Valve has a massive Steam OS sale going on. More than 50 titles are on sale, including some of PC World's favorites from 2014, like the Talos Principle, Translator, Wasteland 2 was their game of year, Metro Redux, The Witcher 2, Assassins of Kings, Borderlands, the pre-sequel, a great game. Civilization Beyond Earth, new game from them on sale, XCOM Enemy Unknown, fantastic game, and of course, the classic Goat Simulator all on sale right now, because they're, you know, big push for Steam games, so it's a good time to go grab some games on on Linux uh, this week specifically. So that's all the stuff we know about uh, that is down the road. There's been something sort of boiling in the background uh, for a while, and that is finding a replacement for OpenGL, and we've heard a little bit, and we talked a little bit about GL Next. And it now has an official name, sort of, I don't know if maybe it's a nod to the hat to Leonard Nimoy or if the timing just happened to be perfect, but they're calling it Vulcan, And Vulcan is going to be pretty ambitious and maybe eventually replace OpenGL. And the Maximum PC had an interview with Gabe Newell where he talks a little bit about it, so I'll play a couple of minutes of it.
2: It really puts the PC front and center as the premier content authoring platform. Um, Another thing uh, that's important to us is... uh, You know, it sounds kind of like a strange thing to do, but it makes sense, I think, if you look at it in terms of the overall PC industry, is we're supporting Vulkan. So Vulkan is previously known as uh, OpenGL Next. It was, uh, from our point of view, you have lots of interesting stuff happening in graphics technology right now, but it tends to be restricted to a specific platform or to a specific vendor's hardware products. And Vulkan solves that problem. It's a cross-platform. You know, it works on Mac, Linux, Windows, Steam SteamOS. Uh, it's going to be supported by, you know, Valve and Blizzard and Epic and and Unity. Uh, and it works, uh, you know, with NVIDIA graphics hardware or ATI's graphics hardware or whomever. We're actually going to make a... Uh, dr- uh, a- a Vulkan driver release for the Intel integrated uh, graphics. So it'll be source code that anybody can use. If you're a software developer and you want to understand what's happening on the inside of your graphics pipeline, you can look at it. Or if you're a hardware manufacturer and you want a reference design that you can build off of. And that's just how we're trying to support the Kronos Group's efforts to make uh, Vulkan... uh, A cross-platform solution
0: so i think that's pretty cool so uh, valve is working on developing an intel driver that people can use look at this working driver as in a spec and you know uh, i i only can be so interested about this kind of stuff Uh, OpenGL, mantle um you know metal uh whatever (sighs) Mm -hmm. i don't i don't give a crap right i just want my games to work uh and and what i do care about is that with if the industry is going to decide on something new I want to make sure the right people are behind the the one that we all decide on. It seems like right. this has the right people. I like that they're yep. designing an open source okay. driver. Uh, mm-hmm. Does it mean anything for us end users? Probably not for a while because even once this stuff gets out there and gets stabilized, stuff has to be written to it, right? And mm-hmm. that seems like then that takes a whole generation of games. So unless I'm missing something, it's quite a ways out. But what I am happy about is that... Valve and Linux and open source are really at the beginning stage of this discussion, right? It's not, like, it's not like something's being decided by the industry and then Linux has to play catch up and figure out how the hell we're going to make this work on our platform and how are we going to reverse engineer this and please will they give us the code? And... No, it's from day one. Because of SteamOS, I think, and because of Valve's involvement with SteamOS, Linux has to be part of that conversation from day one. And I think that's a really big deal. Also, uh, Source 2 is going to be free for developers to work with, and it also supports the Alpha Vulkan API. So, uh, yeah, you know, Intel Graphics isn't the fastest, but it's a good place to start. It's a good reference for it. And then one last note, Pharonix uh, just notes that uh, Steam usage still remains to be just barely above 1% under Linux. Uh, not a lot of exclusives yet uh, drive that. No SteamOS machines yet drive that. Uh, but it is mm. the low, uh, Steam, Steam usage among Linux is kind of at the lowest usage it's been uh, for a number of months right now. So all this stuff is happening. Meanwhile, Steam usage on Linux, kind of at record lows. Uh, could be just game cycles, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens as new as... I mean, there's there's a bunch of really great games announced uh, coming also this week to Linux, like uh, like uh, the Batman game and uh, a bunch of other great ones. So
1: it should it should the, re- the reality is that people that were already on Linux are excited to be able to play their games on Linux, but I have yet to see any compelling reason why anyone would erase Windows to install Linux purely for gaming, Right. Um, you know, yeah. so you're, we're going to draw our, we're going to draw our niche in and we're going to solidify our niche a little bit, but I don't think <clears throat> there's anything too compelling. Now, once they actually produce a steam box, when I can go buy a box that I, that, that, uh, that, people don't have a choice in that it just, it runs Linux. And if you want to wipe it off and install windows, you could, then I think you're going to see sales in Linux pff, through the roof. Yeah. But I think right now I don't, there wouldn't be really any compelling reason for people to, to switch to Linux right now. Right. Maybe I mean, from a gaming perspective alone. From yeah. a gaming perspective yeah. alone, how from many gamers alone. do you know that really care what operating system yeah. they run? But it
0: does. I think. So. But I think that. Why I think that's a little too white and black because I think what what it really is is uh, it's more of a gray area where people go. Well, it now does these things for me, and now I can make that switch. And it's just, a, it's, just it's just certain right. games for certain people, and right. that just gets to be but a wider.
1: Right, but those people, you're talking about you're talking, uh, talking about a subsection of a subsection. We're talking about the people that were already wanted to be Linux users and, and just yeah. gaming was holding them back. I mean, that's a very, yeah. very small margin, I think, of the total Linux. There's a lot of people like me that, uh, that just switched to Linux and gave up uh, the few games that I did play, and I'm happy to have those back, but it wouldn't have stopped me from switching right. to Linux. Yep. And then there's the people that are never going to switch to Linux because there are way too many games that they play, but then right in the middle you have those people that would switch to Linux because there's a certain subset of games that they play and that was keeping them on windows It's not a lot of people i think have come over yeah those people yeah right yeah
0: and they continue to come Mm -hmm. over as their games come over but uh Mm -hmm. all right let's shift gears let's get all serious let's talk about gpl violations uh the uh, free software conservancy we've interviewed karen um from oscon uh, a while back and uh that group is going after vmware in conjunction with a linux kernel developer uh now hold on buckle up i'll tell you a little bit about this so uh, you guys all know vmware well Linux developer Christoph Hilwig filed a suit in the District Court of, hum- of Hamburg, Germany, uh, with funding from the nonprofit Software Freedom Conservancy, uh, which works to promote, improve, and develop, and defend free open software. Uh, the case centers on the combined work that VMware allegedly created by-, by combining their own code, the VM kernel, with portions of Linux code, which was licensed under the GPL2. Uh, VMware denies the lawsuit accusations, calling them without merit, but it did not address them specifically in a public statement on the matter. Hillwig is one of the most active developers of the Linux kernel. He's publicly denounced VMware's misuse of GPL license code since 2007. The Software Freedom Conservancy said in its announcement yesterday that the 2011 Conservancy 2011, Conservancy discovered that VMware had failed to provide nor offer any source code for the version of BusyBox included with VMware's ESXi products, as required by the BusyBox license. The Conservancy began negotiations with VMware to seek compliance on all GPL components in the ESXi project, but progress was slowed through 2013, the group said. Now, we don't know all the details yet because court docs have not been released. The public, uh, it's, not, it's not default in Germany, so, you know, we don't get the docs unless the, all parties want to, I guess. The Free Software Foundation has weighed in saying they support the lawsuit, and the Conservancy is also seeking donations to help pay for the lawsuit, which says it could take years to
1: resolve. Any thoughts on this, Noah? Um, I think it's great. It, the, the GPL is worthless if we don't enforce it, right? Like there's, it really doesn't. Uh, it, it really doesn't. It really doesn't mean anything unless we go after the people that violate it. And then, in addition, I think every time something like this comes up, one more person gets clarification. There was a guy in the mumble room when this story came out, and I was I was talking about it, and there was a discussion going around, and he goes you can't violate the GPL. Anyone can use the code for free. They don't, there's no copyright on it. That's the whole definition of the GPL, which, of course, is very much not the definition of the GPL. And stories like this enlighten people about it, and they let people know, hey, listen, it's not that there's no copyright. It's not that anyone can do whatever they want with it. There's a very specific set of rules you have to follow, and here's what they are. And as long as you're willing to abide by those rules, then you can use the code. It's just more forgiving than you know proprietary stuff.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah and, and VMware mm-hmm. made a powerhouse of a product on top of Linux, I mean they they've really owned the virtualization uh, world for quite a while. They're they're, mm-hmm. the, they're the leading industry provider, and uh, mm-hmm. I I if they didn't follow the letter of the law, well then they weren't playing by the rules of the game. And so uh, right. in my in my younger years, I anything that has to do with lawsuits or anything like that, I would always just recoil and be like, oh can't we just focus on the technology? This sucks so bad. More lawsuits mm-hmm. these days. I now see it more as a little bit important uh, of a piece to keeping the software that we all rely on actually free and not getting it sort of co-opted. Um, and also, part of the deal is if you make something better, you got to give that better back. That's how everybody gets right. the improvements, and that's exactly. sort of the, that's, the, that's the contract you sign when you
1: take that code. Uh, so. And how many people even working within the GPL, even abiding by the rules of the GPL, build a business off of the backs of Linux and then short Uh, And then short stick the Linux community when when it comes out, i.e. I'm looking at Google Drive. I'm looking at Spotify originally. I'm looking at – Snaps. Yeah, yeah, I follow you. uh, You know? So – Yep. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. So – and that's what the uh, Conservancy is all about.
1: Okay. So
0: let's talk about Linux kernel 4.0. We I, I can't remember if, if you said it on air or who said, somebody said, you know what they ought to do? They ought to take that live patching feature, stick it in 4.0, and make it an excuse to call it Linux 4.0. Well, guess what? That's exactly what's happening. No need to reboot after a patch coming with Linux kernel 4.0. So, a little history lesson for those of you who haven't followed this all Red Hat and SUSE both, both started working on their own purely open source means of giving Linux the ability to keep running even during critical patches while they're being installed. Red Hat's program was called Kpatch. And Seuss was called KGraft. The two companies took two different approaches. KGraft issues a stop machine command. After that, it looks at the stack of existing processes using F trace, and if the patch can be made easily and safely, it redirects the running code to the patched functions and then removes the now outdated code k also uses F-Trace, but it works on the, uh, on the thread level. When an old function is called, it makes sure the thread reaches a point that it can switch to the new function. While the end result is the same, the operating system keeps running while the patches are made. There are significant differences in performance, however. Kpatch patch takes uh, from 1 to 40 milliseconds, while K-Graft might take several minutes. But... Uh, There's never even a millisecond of downtime with either one. That's pretty nice. So, at the Linux Plumbers Conference in October 2014, the two groups got together and started to work on a way to patch without rebooting that combines the best of both programs. How about that? Essentially, what they ended up doing was putting both kpatch and kgraft in the Linux kernel 4.0. No more patching. Is this a big problem for you, Noah? Like, I was trying to think back, like, you know, a lot of times if a system was really so critical that I could never reboot it for a patch, I would try to design it in such a way that I could have another system that would be standing right. up in its place. How how, yep. how much do you still run into this day to day though like where you oh hold on everybody I got to reboot the server is yeah. that still a thing that, for you?
1: For the most part that would not be acceptable to to the people I work for. I, I can't I would I don't I mean, in smaller businesses, you can get away with that. You can say, "Yeah, I want all 15 of you to shut your computers off, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna restart this machine and do an upgrade." But the reality is, you almost always, even in the smallest of businesses, we I always recommend that you have at least a backup machine. And, and the reality is that the cost of servers, I think you can buy a, a Think Center a, a Think Server on on Amazon Prime for like 249 bucks right mm. now. At that price, it just doesn't make sense not to have redundancy. And if you're gonna have that, re- and 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 if you're gonna have that redundancy, then it's easy. Enough to to switch them over to a failover server while you patch one server and then bounce them back while you update the next one. So we have spent twenty years coming up with ways to get around yeah. having to restart the machine. So I don't think it's going to be that. Uh, I don't think it's that big of a deal in in practice. But the reality is is it's it's a long needed functionality. And right. it's Certainly going to be nice. Yeah. Assuming you trust it. Well, there's you trust that. It. I know a lot of people yeah. that are going to say, "Listen, I don't really care. I still want everyone on, a, right. on off the off a server while I'm making changes." This to it. This is I what I was wondering. Like. Course, live are, we, are we introducing
0: some super, super, super cool new way for malware to get injected into our kernel in real time just so that way we can check a box and say we can live patch like the AIX guys can? Yeah. Is that what this yeah. is about? Because yeah. it seems like if you introduce a mechanism to inject code in real time into your kernel without ever mm-hmm. rebooting, you could inject bad stuff in real time,
1: too. Yeah, but I mean – then, maybe not I mean, maybe so, not
0: it's signed i don't know i mean maybe what i could yeah. do is i could have a tpm chip and i could have a secure mm-hmm. boot with trusted computing and i can make sure uh-huh. that all of my drivers and all of my kernel patches are signed with uh, mm-hmm. cryptographic signatures and uh, blessed by microsoft and then i won't have to worry about malware going into my kernel yeah. at least i have live that's, patching. that's the answer
1: yeah okay yes. i'm just yes. wondering that's the answer yeah or you could uh, just install ac linux and you wouldn't have to worry about it i'm sorry what but uh, TPM I said, module you could what? use SE Linux mm. and then yeah Linux Linux anyway operating system. let's talk
0: about something mm-hmm. that uh, gnome is getting that uh, Katie's had thanks to I believe it's called KDE connect I've I've, actually, I've met the developer he was a nice guy he just recently moved to the Pacific Northwest well gnome's catching up with a brand new app that'll bring your android notifications to your gnome desktop and man is that going to be sweet with the new redesigned gnome notifications in gnome 3.16 oh i cannot wait uh this is uh this is something that I really miss when I'm not running KDE. it's it's this is this is my kind of convergence. You get a notification on the phone, it uses blue there's a daemon that runs on the phone, it uses bluetooth to push that event to your Android uh, to your gnome desktop. Uh the developers are hoping it'll be ready for gnome.3.16 when it ships. It's going to work over bluetooth, so there's no cloud-based push notification. Uh you don't have to have a connection to the internet for it to work. It's just going to work. Uh, it uses an app called uh, uh, Nutinus on the uh, desktop side, N-U-N-T-I-U-S, and then an app on the uh, uh, on the Android side uh, as well. And uh, I have a link to the GitHub, the uh, Holy Lobster GitHub, and also the blog post where the developers announce it. It's two developers, I believe, right now that are bringing it over, and they plan to introduce features like if you dismiss it on GNOME, it'll, it'll also clear the notification on Android and stuff like that. Nice and Cool. The only, the only thing I worry about, now is I don't know if you've ever played with KDE Connect, but I'm worried about developing a whole bunch of different ways of doing this. You know what I mean? Like a whole bunch of different standards.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things that stand out to me. First off, I like the idea of being able to do things on my desktop because, frankly, when I'm sitting down on my desktop, I don't ever want to touch my phone. There's nothing that my phone can do that my desktop can't do. And so I would just assume that any, any notifications that come to my phone, I would rather just deal with them on, on my desktop to begin with. That said... I don't you you seem to be excited about the Bluetooth connect. I'm not. I'm a person that has a lot of Bluetooth headsets. My phone connects Bluetooth to my car, my phone connects Bluetooth to my glass, and I wonder how that's going to work if I pair it to my my desktop is it going to start kicking those other devices off? Is it not going to connect at all? Is it, how's how's it going to manage that? You just that? worry about Bluetooth Seems issues. Like, yeah, I mean really, I, not nice really I'm not worried about that. For it to come here's through.
0: the thing is if you, if it's over Wi-Fi, then you then you cannot yeah. then your then your Android device couldn't let your Wi-Fi sleep when it's sleeping. But if you have something like Bluetooth, mm-hmm. it's lower energy. It can be more. It can be constantly connected. And it doesn't take as much power as a Wi-Fi mm-hmm. antenna. I don't know. Do you have an issue when you have a lot of – your, does your Android phone drop
1: stuff when you have too much Bluetooth uh, there, Noah? Well, they, Glass has – has the way that the app works is I can set priorities. So I can set it – I can say when the when my car is in range, then kill the – don't send the audio to my Glass. Send it to my oh, car. Oh, I see. If the car's not in range, then send it to my Glass. Right. If my Glass is dying, then it, send it, it to my It won't the do audio, so it's not
0: going to mess with your audio
1: settings because it doesn't Right. Do no, it. I understand. But a pairing device is a pairing device, right? It's not going to – I mean it's going to see – I mean uh, if I pair it to my my computer, it's going to see it as an audio device, Right. I don't know I mean, because... The, the past when I paired my phone, it sees, it, as a, it sees my phone as a modem, and then it sees the computer right. as an audio device. See,
0: what you're doing, though, is you're communicating with the little service that runs on the Android. So that probably okay. only shows itself as like push notifications. It probably doesn't show up as an audio okay. ADP to ADTP. So you, you pair it with a it specific app. You don't yeah, pair I it as you normally well, do I don't with know. the computer. Okay. We need somebody to try yeah. and tell well, I guess us. we'll see when it comes out. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely will give it a go when GNOME three point sixteen ships. I think you could actually get it right now. I don't think you have to wait. But if you want that new fancy notification dropdown and all that, you gotta wait. All the all the details about it are in the show notes. Uh, and I don't, I don't know, if I think it's not using quite the same stuff that KDE Connect is using either, which is a little disappointing, and I think there's already some discussions about straightening that out. Uh, I'll keep an eye on it. I'll report back after I get a chance to kick the tires a little bit. But, Noah, that's all the news for this week. When Noah became the co-host of Linux Action Show, we knew we were going to have to step up our game as far as remote video went because we wanted a solution that was entirely Linux-powered and would be rock-solid and high-quality. We've got that dialed in. It took a lot of work, but I can't wait to share it with you because if you do the same, you're going to have a fantastic remote video connection. Before we jump into that, though, I want to thank our segment sponsor and that's System76. You know, a lot of the production we do is on System76 rigs. Go over to System76.com and get a machine that's designed to run Linux, also supported to run Linux, and a company that supports the Linux ecosystem. System76.com has some great desktops built right here in the U.S. of A. And some laptops that you won't believe the portability, like that Ultra Pro, and they've got some new rigs on the way as well. Go over to system76.com get a computer designed to run Linux. Stop fighting with your hardware and play with your Linux. You know what I do? is I just make sure that anywhere I have a critical machine like the machine I'm sitting at right now that's going to be running Linux, it has to be System76. If I'm doing production under Linux the last thing I want to worry about is the hardware not being reliable. So what we're going to do is walk you through the hardware and software we use to do our media production and uh, it was Noah's idea what he was thinking is we just start sort of at the beginning and work all the way through the chain so we'll start at his end of the process and then work back through my end of the process and tell you all the devices we use and then talk a little bit about remote connections.
1: I think the easiest way to explain this is going to be to just start from my end and then work all the way through back to you, Chris, and then you can start where my signal comes into you and take us all the way through how it goes out over the air. Um, So the first thing uh, is for you to come back over here and see what I see while we're doing the show. Okay, so this is what I look at. I see the studio camera, and then right in front of that is the return video display, what's coming from JB1, and then right in front of that is my desktop that uh, I can share with Chris or uh, look things up as as we're on the air. Uh, right below that, I forget everything, so I have a piece of paper and a, and a pen here that I write down um, thoughts as they come to my head. All right, so coming off of the camera, here is the power cord and video cord. Now, I'm a bit of a wire freak, so I have uh, cord wrapped that. Now, that cord wrap meets up with another cord wrap that comes out of the kiosk. Uh, The kiosk contains the microphone wire and the return audio wire, and then both of those wire into a single wire wrap that comes over uh, to this machine. Now, that is a HDMI switcher, so it takes the video from my desktop and the video from the camera and then turns it into a single video feed that goes underneath the desk here to the there is the system 76 wild dog and connected under here um, we will see the hdmi capture card i'm going to show that to you in just a minute Um, now from that machine That is also connected to the PreSonus audio interface, um, which is in turn connected to the 16-channel mixer, which is where my microphone and return audio routes through. Um, But all of that is eventually being fed into that System76 machine, and then uh, using Jitsi is going out to JB1. Let's take a look at what that HDMI interface looks like. So this is that HDMI interface device. Now I'm particularly in love with this device, mainly because I was told by so many people that such a device didn't exist. It has an HDMI port on one side, it has a USB 3.0 on the other side, and it is totally natively compatible with Linux. So I plug it into an Ubuntu 14.04 box and it just spins right up and works. Um, No configuration, no drivers, uh, really nothing is needed to make this device work. Um, They do make it in both HDMI and SDI, so if you are a true uh, professional video freak and you're saying, I would never want to use consumer-grade HDMI, they do make an SDI one as well. I have no reason to think it isn't just as compatible with Linux. Um, But hands down, absolutely one of my most favorite pieces of uh, equipment that I own. Uh, Totally useful. I have one of these in my go-bag for doing interviews and then another one that stays uh, here inside the studio. All right, we need to take a minute and talk about microphones. Now, there are two different classes, so to speak, of microphones. The first is dynamic, and the second is condenser. Condenser microphones reproduce... Excellent sound at a very low cost, which makes them really appealing for entry-level buyers, Um, and even if you're doing uh, inside studio recordings, if you're doing uh, instruments and and vocals, makes a lot of sense. But when it comes to broadcasting or podcasting, you really want to stay away from them and go with a dynamic mic if possible. The problem is, to get a good dynamic microphone with excellent off-axis rejection and excellent reproduction of the human voice, you're going to spend a little bit of money. Let's start with my all-time favorite microphone, the ElectroVoice RE20. Now, this has been a staple in the broadcasting industry for a very long time, and with good reason. It has excellent reproduction of the human voice, and again, excellent off-axis rejection. It's a great microphone. It's my favorite microphone. It's the first one I reach for anytime I need to do uh, anything that involves going on the air or any sort of broadcasting. Uh, The next mic is at the opposite end of the spectrum. It's a condenser mic, and this is the Audio-Technica AT2020. Now, the Audio-Technica AT2020 is a very inexpensive microphone. You're looking at maybe about $90, but it is one of my absolute most favorite microphones because even though it has a low cost, it, it does an excellent job of reproducing the human voice, and it would easily be my second choice if I needed to pick up a microphone, even though it's a condenser mic. The third microphone that's real popular are any of the MXLs. Um, Most of the MXL condenser microphones are sub-$100, and they're a really great choice if you're looking for a a budget microphone. Um, I would probably encourage you to spend a couple extra bucks and pick up the AT2020, but the MXL makes an excellent microphone, and a lot of people have asked what the microphone we include in the Linux podcasting kit, and that is an MXL 770. The last microphone I want to talk about is... Uh, again one of my favorite microphones uh, for a different reason and this is the AKG Perception 420. Now this microphone is the best microphone to choose if you have a and I don't know how to say this politely, a crappy voice. If you're one of those people like me that God has blessed with the vocal cords of a female, and you need to fill out your voice a little bit, but you don't want that real boomy bass that comes in um, with a lot of, the, with a lot of uh, condenser mics, this is a great choice. It is a condenser mic, so you are going to have a little bit of background noise, uh, and you will want to place it a little bit further back from your mouth so you don't get that uh, bassiness, but it's, it's going to fill out your voice really, really well, and again, is a really excellent choice of a microphone comes in around, I think, 200 to 250 bucks. Um, but it, it's, it's if you need something that is going to be a little bit better than the AT2020, but you don't want to go all the way up to the RE320, AKG Perception 420 all day long, every day. Anytime something becomes possible in Linux, I personally believe that we should jump right on it. Um, contrary to popular belief, video editing in Linux is a very doable thing. My nonlinear editor of choice is Lightworks. I've worked with it for a long time, um, basically since it came out for Linux. And I had a little bit of trouble at first, and the learning curve is a little steep. But once I kind of got my brain wrapped around how they wanted me to do things, I find it to be very usable. One thing that's different about Lightworks from any other uh, non-linear editor is that the layout is totally customizable. So, for example, with Adobe Premiere and Final Cut Pro, you essentially have a stock layout. You can make minor changes to it, but really, the way it's set up is the way it's set up. With... um, with Lightworks, I can, move these, I can move these windows, add or subtract them, like let's say I wanted, um, I wanted three, I want to preview three videos at the same time, I can have three preview windows open. I prefer to have one preview window, and then I prefer to have that mirrored onto a dedicated display, so I can always look over and see what my project looks like. I have my project timeline out over here, and then my cutting window up over here, and then I like to have my bin uh, window over there to keep track of all of my clips. Now, working with data is really, really important when you're dealing with video. Obviously, video files are very large, and so storing them and working with them uh, takes a little bit of extra thought. So I really like this BFG card reader. It's a really hefty uh, card reader, so it just it sits on the desk, and it, it doesn't move. And I can, I can stick a memory card in, I can copy my data off, and I can pull the memory card back out, and the card reader really doesn't move all that much. Um, Once the video files are copied, they're copied onto a dedicated RAID 0 that is on the uh, workstation. The workstation has, I think, 16 terabytes of storage in it and then 32 gigs of RAM, which makes it really, really, really easy to work with uh, all sorts of different editing formats, including those that are not terribly editor-friendly like AVCHD. Um, I have a keyboard that is... Uh, produced by edit share that has all of the key commands editing commands right on the keyboard um, so i can i can access those very quickly without having to look or, or remember shortcuts that's really useful if um, i need to do a an, an action that isn't real common um, where what ordinarily i would have to go google to find out what the the key command is to do that i can just look down hit the button and it's done now uh, anyone that knows me knows i'm a huge fan of trackballs. Um, i Don't think I have a workstation that's not used. I have one workstation that's not using a trackball. All the rest of them are all Logitech trackballs. Um, But even though I have a trackball, this thing has been remarkably useful. Now, this I did not pay a dime for. I did not pick it out. I did not order it. It automatically showed up on my doorstep, and all I did to do that was become a Patreon for Tech Talk today and then I get this amazing cool mouse pad which uh, even though like I said I don't really need a mouse pad, the, the palm rest is remarkably comfortable and I use it all the time now, once the video files have been edited, I like to keep a copy of the project files and the original video files. Now, with an editor like Lightworks, it's non-destructive, so it doesn't actually modify the original video clip. So all I have to do is save the project file, which is, which is just a couple of megs, and then back up the actual video footage. I, some people will delete the video footage right when they're done with it. I keep it. I keep it all just in case I ever want to go back or pull a clip from it or, or whatnot. To do that, I have, uh, I have designed this... Um, this dock that was originally made to house a Blu-ray drive um, with USB 3.0, and I've retro—I I fitted it with a um, with a quick uh, caddy, so I can pull this out. And this is uh, this is VidPro uh, 220. So this I have I have uh, this is the the twentieth two terabyte drive that I filled um, with video footage, and now obviously I've I've kind of switched to four terabytes, but. Um, You you fill video footage very, very quickly. So um, that that allows me to very easily go back, especially if I need to uh, to pull up an old project. It makes it really easy to get to it. Um, I can go back over and, and copy that footage back over. Now, it's real important. You would never want to edit off of a USB, a, a USB device. I suppose you probably could, um, but uh, it's really not a good idea. You really want to work with local storage as much as possible. Now, once that drive comes out, once it's filled, um, it gets put into a, uh, a case like this, and then the case gets labeled with the date and the projects that are on on it and then it goes into a plastic storage bin um, and then that goes into a fireproof safe and that uh, and that's how I keep uh, the the what I would call archived video footage and then if I ever need a project I have a spreadsheet I can go back look up the project name find the original source files pull the hard drive out stick it in here copy it back over and work with them as if they just came off the camera so for me for my workflow works really really well and don't let anyone tell you you can't edit video on linux you can totally edit video on linux i do it all the time i have a lot of fun doing it and once you get your head wrapped around lightworks works really really well now for the actual editing um in addition to having a dedicated displays, a dedicated keyboard and dedicated trackball i also have um uh, cinema ribbon speakers um those are actually a gift from my dad um They're made by a company called Sunfire, which is actually based out of Seattle, I believe. And they have excellent reproduction of high-fidelity sounds. Sounds really, really sharp, really, really clear. Um, Those are connected to a... uh, Audio amplifier that is down here. This is just a generic uh, receiver, um, Yamaha receiver, and that is taking a digital signal from the workstation, and then I get all of my audio, so I can hear uh, the audio as if it were, um, as if I were in a, a theater environment. Um, this is just a, a small rack, and I have a couple other things. I have a VHS player that I can pull uh, v- uh, video in from VHS, although I can't even remember the last time I've done that. It's been so long. So that's kind of an overview of what uh, editing video on Linux looks like, as well as what um, live production from the studio looks like. Now, the mobile setup is very, very similar to that. Um, instead of the Wild Dog, I'm just using a laptop, but I'm still using that HDMI capture card. Um, the only other difference, I guess, is that I'm pulling the audio from directly from the camera, not through an external audio interface. Um, now, it's important to remember that that video, once it hits that wild dog, is being encoded in Jitsi and sent back to you, Chris. So maybe you can talk about what happens when that video comes in to JB1 and how it actually gets set out over the internet.
0: Yeah, in fact, I would even start with, uh, we first tried something like Skype and Hangouts, but we weren't satisfied with the quality. There seems to be like issues with Skype under Linux every other release. Uh, And Hangouts, while good, also I have issues with the audio quality of Hangouts. It's okay, but I I wish it could be a lot better than it is. Uh, And we do use Hangouts for a lot of our interviews, and we use Skype for some of our other shows and some of our other interviews. But we really wanted something that was open source and that ran under Linux. And so we initially started working with Jitsi. Now, there's a couple of different iterations of Jitsi. There is the web version, uh, which works quite well. Uh, The Linux Gamecast, they do their production under Linux. You should check their show out, especially if you want to see end-to-end Linux production production. Uh, and they'd use the web version of Jitsi, and it works well for them, and it's all web-based. You've seen it. It's, It's very much like Hangouts, but you can run it on your own private instance. That was good, but that wasn't quite what we wanted because for production purposes, we wanted to be able to say, use the Opus codec, set it to 128 kilobits, use H.264 for the video, set it to a megabyte, make sure that the video is 16 by 9, make sure that the video is 1280 by 720. We wanted to be able to set all of those settings And have them stay for every single call. That's what Jitsi on the desktop allowed us to do, software side. But it requires some other components to be set up, which was really where the troubleshooting came in. And in fact, Noah, I know you spent a lot of time working on making sure to get the Jitsi server side components set up. So that way we could just pick up and make calls to each other. Do you want to touch a little bit on what you had to set up for us to be able to do what we're doing right now?
1: So basically, I had uh, a lot of stuff to get done in a a given week. And um, we tried to get a couple different solutions like Hangouts. And we tried Jitsi and it didn't work. We tried Hangouts and uh, and Skype and neither of those working real well. And then I think... Something was mentioned about perhaps uh, using Windows with Skype and instantaneously. Yeah, then we're I like, that's no that good. That's no good. So I, I literally, I call, my, I call my office staff and I'm like, I want nothing planned for Monday and Tuesday. I have to work on something. And, uh, and I, I worked all day Sunday after that day that we were trying to uh, test things out. And then I worked on Monday and Tuesday. And the trick and to getting Jitsi to work, and I don't know why this is, you have to have ice uh, and you have to use a turn server. You have to specify a turn server in order to get it to, to, uh, to broker that connection uh, through ICE. And you have to use ICE. You can't not use ICE because for whatever reason, in the infinite wisdom of the, uh, of the Jitsi designers, they did not give us a way to specify a socket. I can't just put in an IP address and a port. Um, and so uh, you, have to set up a, you have to set up a turn server. And so we're using OpenFire for the server. That's running on a DigitalOcean droplet, which, again, it, it was it – was, I mean, the, the importance of being able to do that on the fly can't be overstated. I mean, you're on the air, and you're, you're, you were getting frustrated because it wasn't working, and I wanted to get <laughs> the no. XMPP server up right now. So DigitalOcean.com, I click it. 45 seconds, I have a server to go. I installed OpenFire. It took me about five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then we had that brokering problem. That took, the, the biggest thing was actually setting up, if I had it to do over again – I could do it in 15 minutes, but it took three days to figure out that you, I had to specify a turn server to get that to work. Mm. Um, and once you set up a turn server, once you set up the, um, oh, uh, or open fire with a turn plugin connects every time. And we've yeah. it, Jitsi is still a finicky piece of software. And I mm-hmm. think that's because it's built on a Java stack. So mm-hmm. everyone's like, for instance, basically the, the rule of thumb I go by is I will only leave it open unused for about 30 seconds. And if I'm not, and then if I haven't used it, I'll just close it because it'll crash. Um, but once we've established a connection, it's rock solid. I mean, we've done what four or five episodes. We did five hours of streaming at uh, scale, yeah. and we did that all through yeah. Jitsi, yeah. and it held up like a champ. Yeah. So once while it's in use, it's fine. Yeah. When it, while it's dormant, yeah. I don't. I wouldn't give it more than five minutes.
0: I, I have found I have to be kind of per- per- precarious, and I'm uh, I'm using it in conjunction with that same uh, HDMI capture device that you showed off, uh, the uh, mm-hmm. the Magwell uh, X100D USB. This is just a simple th- uh, USB. Uh, It takes in HDMI on one side, USB 3.0 on the other side. Linux just sees it as a Linux video device. And any software like Skype or Hangouts or Jitsi that detects uh, Linux video devices, like a webcam or anything, will detect this. And it just shows up as a webcam source, and you have 1080p of anything you're putting in there.
1: And that's what I send Noah back program feed with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the, the 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 concept, you know, I'm, you know, like the Black Magic. If you look at their website, and we got pieces of feedback in, people will say, well, uh, Black Magic, they technically support Linux. If you mm. call their support, because mm. I bought it, you call their support, they'll say, yeah, just install the latest distro of uh, Ubuntu ten oh four, yeah, and then uh, we have a driver package yeah. that you can install and spend five hours doing yeah. that, and then you can configure this stupid and little software. Which, by takes the way, two hours.
0: Don't ever update the kernel from the stock one that came on the right. ISO. Yeah
1: right it no it, so it, that for me that is not a linux solution that's totally not acceptable i i need to be able it needs to be able to work with linux and the way that that device works is it shows up as a video for linux device so it is identical to if like you said if you had a c920 webcam um, it's going to show up the exact same way, and so you can interface it. I just get a video, a dev slash video zero device, just like I would on on uh, anywhere else in Linux. And because of that, things like Snowmix will pick it up perfectly. I don't have to wonder is Snowmix going to talk to the proprietary Blackmagic? Card? No, I don't. I don't worry about that. Yep. If it works with any video device with Linux, then I know that the that this HDMI capture card is going to work. So I bought a ton of them. I love them.
0: Yeah. So right now this call has been going for two hours and thirty six minutes without a hiccup. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, before we get off VoIP calls uh, altogether, though. I'll give a plug for Linux.com. I have it linked in the show notes. uh, A roundup of other Linux native uh, VoIP clients. If Jitsi doesn't do it for you, uh, he covers a few other ones like uh, Ikigia and uh, a few others that you've probably heard of. So Jack Wallen has a write-up at Linux.com that we
1: have linked in the show notes. The other thing we should talk about just briefly is FFmpeg streaming. Um, so everyone is familiar, at least most people are probably familiar with FFmpeg's ability to convert from one file to the other. But what you might not be familiar with is I can set up, I can issue a streaming command, and it will take everything from a given video source and a given audio source. So I might have a USB audio interface, and I might have my Magwell uh, HDMI capture de- device, and I can send those over an FFmpeg stream. And again, I can specify the video, the frame rate, the size, the, all that stuff. Stuff And then I can send it to something like Allen's scale engine and then you can pull it back down. um, And that's a great way to get uh, remote feeds if you don't want somebody to have to be at the studio to receive it. It can all be initiated from the laptop.
0: uh, Now, so when you get to the when you get to uh, I'll come back to video switching in a minute. Uh, one thing, before we go too far, because uh, right now, uh, this like the the Jitsi, call, the Jitsi client could actually be used for voice podcasts, too. It doesn't have to be used for video mm-hmm. podcasts, right? So right. a lot of the stuff we've covered actually applies to both video and audio podcast production at different scales, conference production, uh, something for your own company that you just want to put out. That's getting more and more common. But there's something that uh, uh, both Noah and I recommend quite a bit when you're taking an audio into your Linux box is bring it in through some USB devices like the Presonus is a great one. The Presonus right. Audio Box or M-Audio. A mm-hmm. USB device something like that uh, Noah you use Presonus as you showed it there in the video.
1: Yep. I have, I have both the M-Box, the M-Audio, and both of those are in the show, show notes. The M-Audio and the PreSonus. I think the PreSonus, I have really, really sensitive ears. Um, I can really tell if uh, uh, between a good capture device and a bad one. And I think that the PreSonus sounds a little bit sweeter. Um, it's a little bit truer, especially if you uh, pair it with a good Mackie mixer. With the, the Mackie has really, really good hot inputs. Um, and if you pair that, the, the PreSonus sounds just a little bit better. It's also a little bit more expensive. So you're going to pay about $30 more, but I think you get a little bit more bang for your buck and it looks nicer in a rack because all the ports are in the front or the back whereas on the M-Audio it's the ports are on the top and the bottom
0: Uh, and we have links to the microphones and
1: audio the hardware
0: we've talked about is linked in the show notes so if you guys saw that and also uh, if you saw some of Noah's uh, walkthrough uh, of course you can always play that back and see how he's using some of that stuff actually in production what do you got there Something cool. The
1: last thing, I, just because people like hardware, I, sh- I should have grabbed this earlier, but um, I just wanted to pull this out. This is a, um, the Atmos Ninja. Yeah. essentially what it is is it is a tiny uh, hard drive-based. So you put a hard drive in here, and then there's HDMI ports, and you can record uh, in ProRes. You can do ProRes. You can do DVCAM. Um, and essentially what it allows you to do is this uh, – there's a tripod mount on the bottom, and uh you can mount this onto uh a a uh, onto the camera itself and then put a hard drive in there and then record all of the stuff. And I know that you really like yes. having uh, video footage provided to you in ProRes well, because you don't have to transcode. This
0: it. is such a huge – if I if I could tell you anything, if you're going to do production under Linux, that would make it so much easier is re- if, if you bring in the stuff in a format that your editor works with to begin with, you will save so much frustration and time. A lot of you guys that have your editors crashing on you or being slow and laggy or not being able to preview the frames, right, it's because you're not using the right, right video codec in your editor and the video editor yes. is chugging to get through that. And so if you can bring that stuff in in the right original source, so for some editors that's ProRes, for others it's DV cam or whatever it might be, you will save mm-hmm. yourself so much time and hassle, and you will make your editor, the, the program, OpenShot, Lightworks, Final Cut, uh, Premiere, Vegas, whatever it is, you will make KDN Live, it will run better if it is in a good codec. And it will you will, right. you will lose less projects, you will transcode and encode faster, you will export the file faster. It's an expensive y- piece of gear, and it means one more thing mm-hmm. you got to bring with you on every trip. But it saves so much time in the post-production process, and specifically under Linux, where there isn't a great suite of transcoding tools outside of FFM, so if you get something right. in a weird format, you can really be in a bind. Uh a specifically mm-hmm. editing under Linux it has made such a huge
1: difference. And to your point, I would argue that that I, I, you and I are both we share a belief that transcoding should never be done. It really right uh, you're going you avoid it. Video in its original form because you're always going to lose something and, and and if you if you're if you if you've once you do it enough times, even small amounts of loss, you you'll begin to notice them. Um but uh To your point of using an editor-friendly format, I would go so far as to say that using an editor-friendly format is so important that I would transcode... Uh, avc uh, video files because yeah. the editor will work so hard to get through them yeah. i'd rather take the quality hit and and work in prores or dv cam then uh and lightworks will do both natively i think you get dv cam for free you have to pay for prores um but uh it's so important and it makes such a difference in editing workflow so for example if you try and put avc in even small things like the audio and the video won't be exactly synced up in the preview which makes it difficult to find where to make cuts and stuff so it just if if that's what you're doing i would I would go so far as just to say take the quality hit and transcode because it's that it'll make that big of a difference. Yeah. All
0: right, so enough about video, let's just talk a little about audio production. This is my sweet spot under Linux and I do this every single week for the Unfiltered show and a tool I use is Oken Audio. I've talked about it before on the show. We've talked about it on Linux Unplugged. It's it's free but it is not open. Uh, it is a fast, powerful audio editor and one of the things I love about it is it's fully capable of editing audio clips and video clips as audio clips. So I don't know if I have it installed on this rig. Uh, I probably don't because I don't really edit out in the studio very often. Yeah, I don't. But one of the things I love about it is you can pull in, say, like a YouTube MP4 file that you've downloaded or a video clip from a from your favorite movie. Like maybe you want to go get Mr. Spock saying, I, sh- I have been and always shall be your friend or something like that. You, f- you drag the file into Oaken Audio and then you can just go select out the audio and save it out to a new file instantaneously it's quick it's clean it's a great audio editor if you're doing just basic podcasting it's all you need now you're going to need to also collaborate there's a lot of different ways you can do that if you're just getting started now i highly recommend you just start with own cloud don't get hooked on the google doc sauce like i did my friends start with OwnCloud. i've integrated OwnCloud into my workflow a lot more so for example Clips I edit now sync through OwnCloud. Show notes that I want to write only in pure text, I sync through OwnCloud, and then I can send them out to other people and they get them in text. OwnCloud is a great back-end tool that I don't really use in this sense as a traditional, like, management, contact management, data management. I'm more using it as a show asset synchronization platform. How about that for a buzzword? I synchronize my artwork. I synchronize the clips. I synchronize all of the standard assets that I need to have for every single show. So a perfect example of that would be uh, Linux Unplugged. Linux Unplugged always has to have certain sound bites that I play for every single show. So in OwnCloud, I have this sound soundboard folder clipped, and I have an un, uh, synced, and I have this Unplugged folder, and in here I have all of the sound clips that go with your average Linux Unplugged episode. They're ready to go no matter what computer I sit down at. So I could fire I think it's wasted effort. I could fire off Richard Stallman saying it's westered, uh, wasted effort, or maybe if the value in something is rather negative,
2: and the value of this is negative. I have
0: those clips on any computer I want because they're syncing via OwnCloud so Okun Audio and OwnCloud are two pieces of software I use to do a lot of my audio management and editing. They work really good because I can just save right to the file system. I use the OwnCloud sync client to then send it off to my OwnCloud server and the best part is I can open up the OwnCloud instance and just play it in the browser if I just need to do something really quick or pull something out really fast to show somebody. And it also makes a really nice way for me to send a specific clip to a person. I can just share a link in OwnCloud. So I like that a lot for audio production. There's other au- honorable mentions like Ardour and Audacity. I don't like those applications as much, but they're fine. And of course, no already mentioned it but ffmpeg the real powerhouse to doing a lot of this stuff um, even when we encode mp3s we use ffmpeg so that's some of the software side we use uh, for uh, the managing that kind of stuff we're still on the in the studio because If we only did the Linux action show, I would probably have a Linux or a hardware-based setup. But because we do 12 other shows, I have uh, Wirecast running on a Mac Pro that does the live switching. So like when I switch to Noah's face or this shot, this shot right here, for example, is being composited by Wirecast. But we're kind of at a point now where we want to kind of change things up a little bit. We want to kind of want to move off the Wirecast sauce down the road. So uh, one of the things I'd like to ask the audience to help us out with production a little bit is we're stuck right now with this virtual set, and neither one of us really like this virtual set. It's it's fine, not really. It's It gets the job done. Uh, uh, but what we'd really like is something that's more real, something more like this. Uh, this is a, my KDE desktop I took like two years ago. I screenshotted it, and then I used GIMP to take out the Bash windows, and I made them transparent, and now this is a PNG overlay. Um, it works. It's It's not exactly great, though. I would love if anyone in the audience wanted to create us shots that would accommodate the type of shots we have on the Linux Action Show. I wouldn't even mind something that sort of takes back the curtain and uh, drops the green screen altogether. Noah and I have kind of been talking about just sort of embracing the fact that we're in a studio, don't need a green screen, uh, and uh, let it all hang out. What do you think, Noah?
1: I think that uh, I think that uh, the green screen. It really, it's it's a larger issue. I think you know what I'm going to say. What? Um, oh, because because the, cause, cause the green screen needs wirecast, right? And the wirecast needs the Mac, right? The Mac, yeah. yeah. So if we could if we can eliminate, you know, and, and I'm one of those people that I'm I'm a I'm a very pragmatic, practical person. So it's not that I don't understand. And if if my choices were should the Linux Action Show exist on a Mac or not exist at all, I will I will pay for the Mac five times over. I'll buy you, I'll donate every Mac you need to make the show happen, right? Okay. But at, when we reach a point and we're, we're just now getting there, we're not, I don't even know if we're quite there yet, but we're getting there. The tools, the ground has been laid, I think, to be able to do the production on Linux, and so it'll be fun to kind of see what things we can swap out and see how much of Linux. Like So, for example, one thing that made me really happy was, I, well, the first time I saw the studio was, the feed that goes out uh, all day that plays every all day, every day. That's a Linux machine. That's that's Linux uh, uh, Mate, Ubuntu uh, Mate, and with VLC playing. And that's what you're seeing. Um, so, so, in that sense, that the Wirecast machine at that point is simply just pulling in a feed and yep. sending it out yep. over, uh, you know, over if, RTMP, which actually we, could be d- being done in, in VLC. Yeah. I mean. If we
0: dropped, um, if we drop the need for uh, green screen compositing and a few other things, that mm-hmm. we, there, it, it is not. It is not just as black and white as that. But that is a major piece. Right. Right. Is uh, right. is the compositing, and so that's why I was going to say like. If somebody out in the audience had an idea of, a, of, 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 a, of something they could design for us that we could use that would work with the studio, I could set up a couple cameras in here. And, you know, this. I'm just using what I'm showing right now as an example because this isn't a composited shot. These are our, these are real shots. Uh, we could take mm-hmm. something like this and just be in the studio and use the studio as the set. But honestly, it's beyond my design limits. I, I've, I've tried to come up with different stuff. All I end up back is this virtual set. Uh, and and it's not what's keeping us in Wirecast, but until this part is resolved, we can't move away from Wirecast. So it's it's right. it's kind of the next thing that we need.
1: Yep, right, and that, that's that's exactly what I was going. That's exactly what I was going along with the thought of the groundwork has been laid. It's not that it's not that we have we, we make one change and all of a sudden now we can do the entire thing on Linux. But you have to tackle things uh, small one at a time and make sure that one the changes are. You know that that they work and that it's that it's reliable, and also that you don't lose quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you once you can do that, and once you can change out all the little pieces, then then you can pull out the rug out from under you and, and make a big switch. And it's kind of like the same way you switch somebody from Windows to Linux. You first you start them yep. on Open Office and Firefox, yep. and all the things you know are going to work fine in Linux. And then eventually you switch the you pull the rug out from under them, and they don't even notice. Yep. That's kind of what and the, that's what the we've been doing here, here. You know,
0: like when we first mm-hmm. moved in with the back end encoding, all the transcoding, we never even put that on a Mac. You put that on Linux immediately, mm-hmm. and then and we've slowly been moving that in and it all kind of starts Mm -hmm. to circle around that Wirecast machine and then once you do that, you can start to say, okay, well, this is the list of stuff that does and if we can check this list off, then we're Mm -hmm. in a much better spot and and, and now it leaves us in a spot like when we're remote, we can do all Linux setups and all Linux broadcasts and all of this stuff here is all Linux here at the table. That's really awesome and so it's, it's pretty cool, and you know, I think if at some point, if you know, if in the, if if I had in the past decided not to go video, we probably would have been able to stay uh, Linux, probably even at that point too, because we wouldn't worry about camera switching and things like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, mm-hmm. now uh, I, I want to yeah, point the- out the show notes. Uh, and Noah and I put a ton of links to software and hardware in the show notes that we have personally owned and tried and can verify it works really well. The microphones we use, the whole range of microphones Noah listed, from sort of the cheaper ones to the more expensive ones. The software we like a lot. Um, it's all laid out there, Noah. What else are we forget anything we wanted to cover in the production episode?
1: No, just uh, just one more plug that uh, you know if we those if somebody can work on work on that uh, make some sort of a, a PNG that we could use that would be great. Lots of and them. Then the other need thing lots that of I think we're still for like every shot. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. The other thing that would be uh, that will be super cool, and again, this is still kind of in the planning stages, um, but it seems like it's going in the right direction. Is now the groundwork has been. Uh, not only laid but tested for doing uh, all Linux production when we're offsite. Mm-hmm. So where the green screen definitely doesn't matter, and where even where even we can cheat on camera switching because camera switching isn't so important because you essentially can do it in post you're doing and... fa- or right, you're, you're right can, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, in post it's it's super easy. You just bring a couple of cameras, but we we can deal with just uh, with as little as you know two or three camera shots. And if Snowmix, if we can get that working, yeah. it is entirely possible that maybe at Linux Fest Northwest this year you might see a mm-hmm. System 76 Wild Dog performance.
0: And uh, I, I think you'll also hear uh, as we roll those kind of as we kind of make little milestones like that, we'll talk about it on the show and mm-hmm. tell you how we did it. Yeah, uh, and I think I think now it's at the point where you could do it all under Linux, especially if you had a little extra time and focus. Um, Right. Where it gets a little harder is the real problem, right? Yeah, it gets a little harder when you want to produce like a lot of things every single day and get them out within a Mm -hmm. couple of hours. That gets a little more complicated, Mm -hmm. but um, Mm -hmm. it's getting closer. It's pretty exciting. And things like uh, Snow Mix and others will help quite a bit. Now, uh there there's a, there are a few big components we left out. Like we didn't get too specific on which mixer you might want to use. Uh I love Mackie mixers. Uh no, is what was your big one
1: there you have there? Was that a Mackie or what's that? Ma- Ma- it's yeah. Mackie, it's a Mackie. Yeah. It's a it's a CFX16. I Mackie has industry uh, you know industry leading uh, mic input so if you want really sweet sounding audio mm-hmm. you can run that through a Mackie mixer it'll yeah. sound really great there's a lot of different
0: mm-hmm. ways you can go uh and uh, noah and i both are big fans of doing it in hardware whenever possible i don't always follow right. that rule like here in the studio my mixer is a software-based mixer that's a unique scenario mm-hmm. again because this is sort of a unique production setup if uh, you're not mm-hmm. doing something at the scale we are you have different requirements uh and some of those like maxi mixers are just some of the best i have two of them and I, I just refuse to get rid of them because I love them so much. I just I love them. Right, they're just amazing mixers. Like I emotionally bonded to them.
1: And the more things you do in hardware, the better chance you're going to have of getting that to work in Linux. Because essentially, you have choke points. Um, you bring the audio in in Linux. You bring the video in in Linux. And as long as those two components work, it doesn't matter what's beyond that. As long as they're all hardware based. If the compressor and the gate and all that stuff is hardware based, it doesn't. You don't have to worry about Linux compatibility. You just have to make sure it does. Really good at what it does, yeah. and oftentimes, and I think you mentioned this: the hardware version is going to do it better than the software version most times. That's not always the case, so yeah, yeah, all right. So uh, we'll I, I, we'll, uh, we'll probably touch on this again later in the year, but this
0: is a good spo- standing spot right here, uh, and and I, I think it does show you like the Jitsi connection; it's a little buggy, but I'd say it, we've now been able to surpass Skype in quality, all using open source software. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You look good, you know, and like uh, we've been, we were. When we were testing it, like, we were even doing things like walking around a room, and it was so clear that, like, Skype and Hangouts would start dropping frames, and, you know, like, if Noah was walking around, we'd get, like, 20 frames per second, but Jitsi manages to hold 30 frames per second the entire time. We could probably Mm -hmm. even get it higher if we wanted. Yeah, I
1: walked around scale with it. And yeah. we were doing, uh, and we were doing live coverage, and yeah. that, that you know, it held yeah. its own. And that was Wi-Fi. That was on Wi-Fi. Yep.
0: Yeah. It's it's getting mm-hmm. really good. It's it's been exciting over uh, the what almost eight nine years I've been doing the show to see it get to this point. It's been extremely mm-hmm. long time coming. It's really annoying and frustrating, and it's still not quite there yet, but it's so yeah. close. <laughs> So, and it could be for so many people. I'm a little jelly for people yeah. that are just starting out. I'm a little jelly because yeah. like that's it's yeah. all there, especially if you're doing audio podcast.
1: Yeah, and like you said, if you if you have the time where you weren't where you didn't have, you can't disassemble your studio to try new things because it all has to work yeah. within for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> um, and so if you're at that point where you have even a week or two yeah. to plan and play with things, you yeah. can totally get this stuff working. I could have gotten Snowmix to work if I would have had more than yeah. 45 minutes to play with it. Right. I just don't have the time.
0: Yep. That's, that's kind of where it's at now. It's, it's, if, if you think you can't do it under Linux, it probably just means you don't know how to do it under Linux or the workflow is right. a lot different under Linux. I run into that a lot, right. too. I, I, I often think it can't be done, and then what I've discovered mm-hmm. is I have to rethink the way I do it. Or maybe I rethink mm-hmm. – and that sometimes even means the tools I use to get the job done. Like, uh, you know, like when I realized that I didn't always need an editor, that sometimes I could just use AvidMux, which seems obvious on the face of. it, But when you live your life inside a video editor and then realize I don't need right. a video editor – It just took me rethinking the problem a little bit and I realized how I could solve that under Linux and address a
1: huge portion of my video editing without ever even needing to find a video editor I liked. So that was really exciting. Yeah. You know how many things I do under VLC these days? <laughs> yeah. That if you would have asked me back in the, in the era of when I was using yeah. Windows, if you would have said, yeah. well, you can do that in a media player, yeah. I'd be like, no, you yeah. don't understand. I'm talking about the opposite side yeah. of it. I'm talking about streaming. I'm talking about generating. I'm talking about transcoding. Yeah. But VLC does all that.
0: Before I started doing this kind of stuff, I thought FFmpeg was like some buggy thing that did some stuff yeah. sometimes. And now it's right. like FFmpeg is like I, I feel like I need a shrine for FFmpeg because yeah. it's such an amazing yeah. piece of software.
1: Yeah. So there's a the lot. The problem of is like because a lot of it's so command-based, yeah. That, it, it's, not, it's not even clear at the face of it all, the, the, yeah. the extreme power right. that it has yeah. until you start digging It's into hidden. It. Yeah. It's,
0: it's hidden in there. And mm-hmm. then there's tools like mm-hmm. Handbrake that help you a little bit learn it. But, yeah. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. That's a ton of stuff for you guys to cover. I know we blasted through a lot of it. I encourage you, if you really want to do this, maybe replay this segment because there was a lot of good stuff. And the only reason I say that, you guys, is we have learned this stuff with blood, tears, and lots of money. We have seriously put so much time and effort into troubleshooting this stuff and making sure it runs with Linux. This is sort of the accumulation of all of these efforts over years and years. I hope you find it valuable. Go find the links in the show notes, and if you missed anything, watch it again, and you can always send, send in emails. We could do future follow-ups. You can go to Linux, uh, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, and choose Linux Action Show from the drop-down to send questions in, or there's also the feedback thread over on the subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. But that concludes production under Linux. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. And that means it's time for emails. Noah and Jason writes in with our first email this week. And guess what? It kind of fits the topic. He says, hey, guys, uh, I see a bash window around the video conferencing that you do on the show. What the hell are you using? I'm so sick of Skype. Please tell me you got something better. No, you see that bash window right there? That's just a PNG. This is just uh, me inserting an image into a bash window. I'm sorry. A lot of people ask, though. A lot of people ask about that. No, have you noticed how many people ask about that? <laughs> a lot of people. Yes. yes. Yeah, we got it last week, actually, too. <laughs> yeah, we get it every week. We get it every every mm-hmm. single week. All right, you want to read the next one from Levi?
1: Yeah, So Levi writes in and he goes, production gear on software. I started using Linux about two years ago and loved every minute of it. Then I found Last a.k.a. the best Linux show around. I have in the past year started recording the video for and for my audio for my church services. I've been editing the video in Blender and while it's not ideal, it gets the job done. Then uploading to YouTube, but I'd like to know, I'd like to be able to live stream. I just don't know where to begin with the task. I love your show and I was wondering if you could tell me what gear and software you use for the live production. Now, I responded to Levi in a very detailed email and told him exactly how i'm doing the stuff in my studio and to the best of my understanding how you're doing stuff in your studio but honestly the entire episode answers that question
0: yes yeah uh, and and something we didn't touch a lot on but we gave it a quick mention open broadcasters in beta right now that's a good way to stream ffmpeg noah mentioned that There's a lot of ways to do it, to be honest with you, but hopefully after watching today's episode, you got a good picture of that. Justin writes in with a question about screen magnifiers. He says, I'm legally blind, and I currently use a Mac due to the accessibility features of being the best on the platform. I want to move to Linux, but I'm held back by that small but important factor. I most likely will use Gnome Shell or Ubuntu or something based on Ubuntu. What suggestions might be made for screen magnifications? Did you find anything, Noah?
1: And I'll watch the I looked chat around and uh, I, I gave a couple of uh, suggestions. Essentially, Justin uh, reached out to me on Facebook and said, I want to become a Linux user, but this is what's holding me back. And so I gave him my word that we would uh, that I would pitch it to the community and we would see if we can uh, try and come up with something. Um, th- this is, uh, if anyone had a legitimate reason not to use Linux, I feel like that's it. If you, can't, if you can't see the screen and you can't get information off the screen, it makes it pretty difficult to use the operating system. So he says he's tried the very common ones, Orca, and the ones that you find with a quick Google search. So that's not doing it. Uh, Okay. But I okay. was. I'm hoping that somebody uh, out there knows uh, is also maybe using an accessibility tool and say this is what works for me. And if we could help them out, that would uh, we'd have another Linux user.
0: Yeah, I know there are a few. I know like Compiz can also do this as like a Compiz plugin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orca was what I was going to recommend though. So okay. Yeah um I, I, comp is maybe but yeah i'm not quite sure what i want to do is i want to punt to the audience i'm seeing k speech in there as well and k meg are also being mentioned
1: uh maybe we I have to believe there's somebody else out there that is that is um that has a, a disability that has solved this problem yeah. already. oh i feel like and kwin could just do this i feel
0: like kwin has this yeah, built into maybe it. Uh, so
1: mm-hmm. we got a, we got a
0: feedback here the Jitsi
1: developers don't
0: bite uh and uh uh, somebody noticed that in our attempt to use Jitsi instead of Google Hangouts, we were having some issues, and they suggested we contact the Jitsi devs and report the issues we have had. Uh, and uh, they said, give it a try, and that was Canterton. And actually, uh, we have uh, had a little success t- chatting with the Jitsi folks. Uh, no, I don't know if uh, you have
1: any comments to add into this. Uh Essentially, I think that the I think that that uh, critique might be a little short-sighted. In, in that we had problems the very first week, and uh, ever since then, really, Jitsi has actually. I'd say it works ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, and the point one percent of the time is so predictably failable that we can plan around it. Yeah, um, and and honestly, before we do the show, I'm not. It's not that it's not that unusual when you have
0: production where you. Imp- introduce a new piece of software and then it takes a little while to work out all the kinks like that just kind of right. like, goes because they're complex I'd
1: say we're there yeah I mean I'd say we're there I mean this episode alone I, I at no time I can always tell by my my mental notes of oh I have to I have to keep an eye on this or I have to think about that I don't think about Jitsi once we establish that it connects right. I get a little worried right when I walk in in the morning but yeah. then once it's once it's established I don't think about it again yeah. I just I trust it's going to work yeah and so far it's it's been correct
0: it's a three hour and one minute call so far with uh, mm-hmm. with uh, no um that right. maybe could happen but uh so we uh but uh we have had some folks that have reached out from the Jitsi project who have been nice and uh, we've talked to them a little bit like one of the things here I'll, I'll uh, here I'll show so here's Noah's screen right and if I uh, unmaximize the Jitsi window oh <laughs> or I hang up on him <laughs> well I was gonna show you that there's a big chin on it uh but uh, unfortunately I just hung up on him instead <laughs> sorry noah I wasn't trying to hang up on you. I'll call him back. So, uh, anyways, uh, there is like, so here I'm here, I can show you while, while I do this. So, right there. So, you see, there's this large chin here on the Jitsi window here at the bottom where you have, which is kind of actually kind of cool because you can see the levels that you're sending in real time, which I do like that. Uh, but what I don't like is that it's it, it never goes away. So, even when I maximize the Jitsi window here, uh, it, never, it never goes away. That chin is constantly there. So it's one of the things we said, like, hey, could we reach out to a Jitsi developer? Do you think they would be willing to maybe take a look at that? And it sounds like maybe that is something they're willing to take a look at. Sorry, no, I, I, uh, <laughs> I clicked the close. You hit the screw
1: you button? <laughs> yeah, I did,
0: because I was trying to unmaximize the window. It hangs up real fast. It's nice, I tell it you. Does. It does. Ma-
1: imagine when he hit, what happens when you hit that red button. <laughs>
0: Uh, anyways, uh, so that chin, other than that, but you know what? When we reached out, and they were like, yeah, that might be something we could look at. So they actually have been really cool. And that's one of the other advantages of using open source in your meter production is if it's something you really depend on, there might be somebody's ear you could twist uh, that would help you uh, troubleshoot it a little bit.
1: I think he's actually in the chat room. It's SM that was, uh, that was what we were speaking with. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe. He does sometimes join us live, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm.
0: SM, if you're in there, uh, howdy at you. Uh, no, is there anything you want to mention before we wrap up today?
1: No, that pretty much covers it. I'm excited to see what happens with the production on Linux. All right, well, if you want to uh, contact
0: the show, go to Jupiter Broadcasting, click the contact link, and choose a Linux Action Show from the drop down. You can find Noah on Twitter. He's Colonel Linux, and I'm Chris LAS on Twitter. And you can also find us in the Linux Action Show subreddit over at com. Great place to make this show better. Give feedback, app picks, runs Linux hint 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 anything like that would be great Uh, Rotten Corpse real time follow up in the chat room says KDE's magnifier effects works perfectly similar to OS X you do super plus and or equals to zoom and super plus minus to zoom out yeah that's what I was kind of thinking of so there you go thanks Rotten Corpse Uh, and thank you everyone for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show see you right back here next week so
1: how come it only does 360p I want HD uh, dude, it's a camera that's built into my head. Give it some slack. Oh, oh, yeah, you see? See yourself? See me? See? See me seeing you? Oh, yeah. That is pretty neat. I'm, gonna,
0: I'm not going to lie. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Hey, no, I'm in your office. I'm in your office, Noah. Hey, no, yeah, I'm in your yeah, office. Nice. Hey, right? Noah. hey, Noah. Hey, no, I'm in your office right now.
1: That's you cool. Hey, there's dude. me and yeah, you. Every time somebody connects, I get, get up. Uh, my head dings. So it goes, ding, and then I know somebody else today. It's kind of creepy, actually. Yeah, what's going to be weird is, you know, what we need to do is put like, um, uh,
0: like a, uh, 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 like a cube. Um, what's it called? Like uh, cube walls around you, kind of give you like a sound box.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. could do that. Yeah.
0: Wait, it's funny how much that microphone's in our face, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well. Forget.
1: Just, yeah, there. You forget.
0: There. You forget. Yeah. Yeah.
1: My my filler my filler content, which is now turned into a time wasting content, is uh, is uh, all right. This is getting annoying now. It's getting hot. Yeah, all right. It's getting all right. Really hot, actually.
0: That's what she said. No wonder why you have electrical said. noise. Jeez, Louise. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have a computer on me head. No, no, because all those wires right there. Look at that. Look at that wire right there. Jeez. <laughs> now yeah. you're looking. Yeah. <laughs> I made you look. <laughs> oh, you killed it. It died. <laughs> Oh, it died. oh no, sorry.
1: Was I not supposed to? No, that's fine. That's fine. 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 That was fun. I, I, I like, thought we should go back to doing a show. I
0: like peeking in on you. Okay, all right. Let's do a show.
1: You know, there's only one answer, Chris. You know what the answer is? I'll tell you the answer. Here's the answer. Are you ready for the answer? Here's the answer. The answer is we'll just have to do a review on Tiling Window Managers. Yeah, I suppose. You say that with such enthusiasm. I can see the spirit...
0: I just don't really want See the thing is is here's the other here's why we've never done it. Um I got a lot of shit to do and I don't want to I don't want to yeah. I cannot afford to slow myself down for a week to try out a desktop that I'm not going to like to begin with. So I'm going to go into it already kind of pissed off that I'm doing it. And so yeah. I'm not going to come out of it with a good review. So I just don't bother. Because if anything fucks up my, if anything slows me down at all, it's already the review's going to be bad, right? Because it's like I don't have time for that. So what I do know is that GNOME works really well, and it's the fastest desktop out of any desktop I've used in the last twenty years. Is that that what you said
1: the first time you used
0: it? No, no, it's taken me a long time to get to there, and so now I'm happy with it. I don't really, and I, it's taken me, it took me, you know, it took me about a half a year to move to GNOME three. It really did. It took me about six months to really move in, and now that I'm here, and I'm productive. I don't really feel like yeah. going anywhere else. Like, I finally, I, fi- I feel like, I feel like, out of all these years when I was distro hopping and trying mm-hmm. on different desktops, I was constantly in the search of the perfect desktop. Mm-hmm. And now I've gotten there. And now, why do I, and now that i why, after all these years, why? Mm-hmm. Why fight it? It's so nice because to just finally have a desktop that I just truly because love. It,
1: because it ends. It ends in one of two ways: either you find out that there's a more productive way to get your stuff done, or you find out that you were in fact using the best choice to I begin agree. with. But saying something, saying something like, saying something like, I already know that I'm not gonna like it anyway, is like saying, "Let's hang him." No, no, let's give him a fair trial and then hang him. Right? I, like, I mean, you have to. I mean, you have to. You have to go into it with the idea that there's a, that at least the possibility exists that you might come away liking it. And then, you can, and then you can at least give it kind of an idea. Of, well, so here's the, here's,
0: here's the thing. Here's the thing, though, as you would say. Uh, I've tried them.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I was like, oh, this would be great if computers weren't as amazing as they were. I would really like mm-hmm. to have this. But computers are actually amazing, so I don't need to have this.
1: I don't know to me it felt that's, like see and that that is my argument against tiling window managers. My argument against tiling window managers is it doesn't feel like a modern desktop. I don't if I were to buy a brand new spanking uh, ultrabook and, mm-hmm. and put a tiling window manager on it, I wouldn't feel as I wouldn't feel like I'm am having it as yeah. amazing as the experience. Yeah. It wouldn't look as beautiful and pretty to and me I'll tell you as that, gnome or something. That two, is my argument against. Here's two against use it.
0: cases I, I feel like are totally legitimate for tiling window managers, like two types of user bases. Number 1 like uh, somebody who has, a, kind of like yourself, has a lot of monitor setups and they're always doing SSH terminals and they pretty much just live in a terminal and a web browser mm-hmm. and maybe like LibreOffice. Like you know, really like three or four apps. That's all they uh-huh. ever do. They're not doing any kind of media production. They're just living in that environment. You know, they have this super rock solid Debian stable workstation that's been running like that for five years. Oh, you know, hardly ever reboots. Persistent SSH connections. It's awesome. Okay, that's user number one for Tiling Window Manager. User number two. And that person I picture, by the way, is probably anywhere between their mid-30s and up. So maybe like all the way up to like near retirement age. Been working in the industry for a really long time, right? That's that user. Uh Okay? Then the second user base for Tiling Window Managers is anybody between like the ages of eight years old and like uh, 25-ish, 24-ish. People who... uh, didn't, ex- didn't live when the, during the period of time where they would actually have to take, like, wires and jam it into the back of their televisions and, like, screw in the connectors so that way they could barely get their cartridge-based computer to do some piece-of-shit game. Those people, the people that didn't live through that, they're all about the tiling window managers. Oh, how yeah. fun are computers? They're so quaint. Yeah. yeah, people that went through that, that's BS. We don't want to do that anymore. We spent decades like that. We've moved beyond coders? that. Huh? Yeah, another good example. Code? Well, if you live in VI or Emacs, you know, if you're always living in the terminal, yeah. have at it. Have but at I, it.
1: I feel like I feel like your impression or your your uh, your take on untiling window managers are they're only good for text-based things? So, for example, I did uh, you know I did um, uh, you know the, the like web browser and email. That's a huge thing is to have your web browser and your email so I can keep an eye on my email and I I fire off a couple emails and I go back to my web browsing. Or one of the things I was doing that was super, super nice was I've always wanted a way to make Firefox transparent so that I, or, yeah, so I can be, I can have a movie and full screen it in VLC and then have Firefox over and be browsing and doing stuff on Firefox while watching a movie behind it. Never been able to get it to work. And don't say Aerofox or whatever the plugin because it doesn't work. But, uh, uh, but if the nice thing about the tiling window manager was, I had Chrome running. I was watching uh, Netflix at the, uh, on a very top little bar, and then right below that, I had my terminal. I was doing my work, and right below that, I had my email, and then right below that, I had Firefox. And I was able to do th- I was able to keep an eye on three oh, different yeah. windows yeah. on my laptop. You know screen. what I would
0: like to be able to do? How are you
1: going to do that in a regular desktop?